Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, all you theater lovers, both out and proud and on the DL, and welcome back to Broadway Breakdown, a podcast discussing the history and legacy of American theater's most exclusive address, Broadway. This series is called Problematic Question Mark, covering shows that you're mad at and their possible redemption. I am your host, Matt Koplick, the least famous and most opinionated of all the Broadway podcast hosts, and with me today is a member of the Three Timers Club now on this podcast. You know him. You love him. He's opinionated. He's articulate. He will read me for filth while complimenting me at the same time because that's how he rolls. Please welcome back to the podcast, Marquette Scott. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) That was the most subdued reaction to everything I just said. I don't take compliments well. You know this. (laughs) I do. I do. I've been trying to, as Alana does with uh, her bow, Philip, I'm trying to ease you in inch by inch with with the compliments here, but we'll get to her in a second. Marcus, what fucking play are we talking about fucking today? We're talking about Slave Play by Jeremy O'Harris. Yeah. Now, this play was a reach for this series. I didn't really think it was totally accurate for Problematic. Uh, You know, no one had heard of it. No one had any qualms with it. It kind of came. It went. No one has had any conversations or articles about it. I really had to dig deep to find all the materials. Of course I'm joking. (laughs) No, this is probably one of the most problematic uh, and um, transgressive shows of the generation. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so, okay. um, Let's, let's, let's get some like homework out of the way. First off, Marcus, for my uncultured fucks, can you give us a brief, rundown of what slave play is about and of course spoilers ahead for anyone who didn't realize this is going to be a spoilery episode great because i was gonna say uh how do i get around that spoiler um so the play is about a group of three couples who um are having a very (laughs) um interesting and unique couples therapy yes that is that is how I can say it in a sentence. But the play is about a group of people um, who are seeking therapy be- uh, for their uh, interracial relationships, um, which are plagued by history of uh, trauma, both sexually and um, and racially. Yeah. And the title comes from the fact that they are a part of this sexual therapy slash kind of group study, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, it's like still kind of an experiment. The two women running it don't totally, they don't really know what they're doing. They're, oh. <laughs> yeah, the experiment is still very new. Uh, and, and we'll talk about them as well and, and sort of why, how this study came about. But the idea is that it's couples who, as, as Marcus said, you know, interracial and having issues intimately and, and whatnot and addressing 
their own issues as well as historical systemic issues with their race and their interracial partnerships by playing out sexual slave role play. Uh, Was that a thought bubble? <laughs> a thought bubble? <laughs> yeah, a little thought yeah, bubble got up in my head. <laughs> um, yeah, because that was because the way that the play is structured, right? You know, it begins for I actually, so I clocked it. I did it because mm-hmm. we'll talk about also how it came into our lives. When I saw it for the first time, you know, I was thrown by the twist because of how it's structured. And then when I watched it at the library for the episode, I timed the three sections, how long they were, because it the play is very much in three sections. The first section is the slave role play which is how the show has advertised itself at that point and so you Mm -hmm. think it's going to be this very wild parody almost and then 40 minutes in paul alexander nolan shouts starbucks in a british accent and you realize that (laughs) we're actually in present day and then we'd spend how long was it we spent i think like an hour and 10 minutes uh with the group therapy session and then 20 minutes for the final scene the scene that everyone (laughs) can't get over that particular scene um (laughs) yeah well for 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 many reasons for many reasons (laughs) so marcus how did slave play come into your life how did it enter your chat um so i was doing a um a writing group. Uh, I was part of a writing cohort with Liberation Theater Company, mm-hmm. uh, where I was writing my play, Sibling Rivalries. And one of the many uh, perks where we, we we got free tickets to see, you know, ship. A lot of that was, you know, Black BIPOC theater. And so I saw this uh, at the original, uh, for its original production at um, New York Theater Workshop. Yeah, it was wild. I, I watched people walk out during that role play session, particularly when uh, the uh, gay couple Philip and Dustin, Gary and Dustin, and Philip is the other is the uh, other one. Yeah. Yes, uh, so, Philip is the is the one who he's straight, but he gets pegged. Yes, that's the one. Um, <laughs> this is the second episode, I've, as far as I know, in this series that has mentioned pegging, but this time it's actually relevant. <laughs> It's happening on stage in front of ours. And that's not when people left. It was like when the bootlicking commenced. <laughs> it was like, it's when they left. That's where they left. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> of like all, It's like, like if all the things to be offended by in that play, it's like by that point, if you've made it to the bootlicking, at that point, you're in. So yeah. I don't... <laughs> no, they, they were just like, no, we can't do this. And like, he literally, she pulled out like a giant dildo. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know does it on stage in front of our eyes and that was that was okay for people but when we got to the bootlicking that's when people (laughs) yeah maybe because it was so overt it was actually happening whereas the the dildo insertion you don't actually see it happen yeah but it's kind of implied but this right here was i mean he's literally like jerking off wearing his uh calvin kleins (laughs) you know and as as one do yeah <laughs> this is a uh, what is it five minutes we've only been talking about <laughs> i know this is a, it's gonna be a wild wild west episode yes so my experience was was watching that and by by that point i was kind of already in i was kind of like that's my cup of tea 
I, I love yeah. like that kind of theater. I I love up until really the last scene is where I thought like this is brilliant. Like there's you know, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and then the last scene happened, and um, to watch like the, the, just my experience was just kind of like watching a hot air balloon, <laughs> just all of the air slowly deflating out of the balloon. <laughs> yeah, it's we'll get to it. We'll get to it because that's a whole conversation and. It's and I had a different viewpoint on it the second time I watched it, and I wasn't quite sure why. And then I read the last page of the script, and I want you to I know you have the script with you, so I want to make sure that you can read exactly what it is that uh O'Harris puts in the stage directions. But then I also read an article about it, and I was like, fascinating and also infuriating. Again, we'll get to her, but um, <laughs> yeah, so you didn't see it when it moved to Broadway and Jakina took over, right? Did not. I, um, that was the, that was actually, wait, did I see, I saw every play that season. There were nine plays by black playwrights. That, yeah. uh, it was the 2019 to 2020 cut off by COVID season. So that was Inheritance, yeah. Slave Play, uh, Sound Inside, uh, Sea yeah, Wall. Life, whatever yeah, that, that, that was, the, that, that was, a, that was a, the tail end of that because that's that was we got a strange loop. Lynn, not a strange loop was that playwrights horizons that summer, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that was about the transfer, yeah. You had the, the, the uh, Lynn Nottage plays, yeah, um, uh, and and uh, and MJ. so that so that was so that what happened, what happened was slave play opened on broadway in like september october of 2019 closed in january of 2020 covid yes. famously happened yes and yes and then it came back after the covid tonys and so it, it yes it was that it came back during that string of uh yeah. black playwrights having stuff so there was thoughts of a colored man passover slave play and so both of those were like limited runs um and i didn't see that play for that particular reason Yes, but I saw I, the other play except for that play. <laughs> yes, I I, I I I saw Slave play the first time it was on Broadway, not the second time. And it, it was it was so limited the second time around. It was back literally for eight weeks and then out. Yeah, yeah, and then they moved because then they took it to L.A. Uh, they what 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 was infamous about that was, I mean, I did you watch that COVID gas leak Tony's ceremony? Oh, of course, of course, oh, yeah. Oh, I, I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was it was nominated for twelve Tonys. Yep, and, and uh, won how many? None. 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 What is it? That's, that's the, like the the other the only musical or play that has that is the Scottsboro Boys. Yeah, how that happens with black shows. But <laughs> I mean, yeah. But I, so here's my thing though with that with that Tonys. And I'm, I don't want to get too into it just because I will be covering the inheritance on this series as well. And I have issues with the inheritance that are oh, God, similar, <laughs> that are similar to slave play. I think overall, I find inheritance to be a better play in general, despite it having similar flaws to slave play. But I'll get into that when well, we I talk about disagree. the play itself. Say what? I, I would disagree. Well, that's what theater is about, Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> that's what art is about my baby no i yeah. listen i and part of the reason why i'm covering inheritance for the series is that when that play came to broadway every pretty much every gay i knew detested it and yeah. it and it, but there are reasons for detesting it were more political than artistic 
I agree. I agree. That's a again, that's something to talk about with the inheritance. Point yeah. being, I was overall pleased with the inheritance winning play just because I I liked it more, if not loved it. Uh and I was happy that Andrew Burnett won. The, I agree. the I agree. attitude going into that year's Tony's was that everyone expected slave play to win. Slave play yeah. expected slave play to win. It was like it was the it was it was the Beyonce of uh, you know, it was a Beyonce Harry Styles situation, you know? Yeah. Were you expecting renaissance? And then, wow, fine line wins. And you're like, how did that happen? <laughs> or, you know, was that the one? Fine line is the one after, is the one before. Yeah. I forget. What it's was, water, was watermelon the one that, or what was it? What, was sugar, watermelon, is that the Harry Styles song? Yeah, watermelon sugar. Yeah. Watermelon sugar. That I, was, that, yeah, that was, you know, that was the, that was the year. That, it, was, it was very similar to that in terms of like the politics, because you, you just thought, like Renaissance was the song of the summer was it was the album of the yeah. summer. Yeah. Um and and this was very much the play of the season. You know, yes. like uh Yeah, we'll get we'll get into the how it happened as we get into the play and its reception. But yeah, basically, you know, they thought they were gonna win. They thought they were gonna at least win play, if not like at three more Tonys that night, because they planned on announcing on the stage, surprise, we're coming back for a limited run. And then they ended up having to like announce it at their after party through oh, the yeah. times. It was a yeah, there was a whole article about it too. Yeah, but, and the Instagram post, my God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Jeremy O'Harris loves social media. Something I was gonna say about him that I kind of want to get out of the way because it also ties into I think why that play didn't end up winning and part of the quote unquote problematic discussions about it are that a lot of people have opinions about Jeremy O'Harris, the person, if not mm-hmm. necessarily the artist. And someone said to me today, they view him now sort of like as our generation's Capote. Where... I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. He's yeah. our Truman Capote or our Gord Vidal. He is a an intellectual who, or a, a socialite who happens to write. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And, I, I, and maybe it's just because Capote's on the brain right now, what with Feud, Capote versus the Swans, which is... Yeah. Have you been watching that, by the way? Not. I, I, you know, I, actually, the only thing Capote really I've ever seen is the Philip Seymour Hoffman movie. Yeah. I haven't even seen the other one. <laughs> Notorious? Yeah, uh, Notor- uh, in- Infamous, right. Um, yeah, <laughs> When it comes to Capote, just actually read Capote. You know, there's nothing's really going to do him justice. In Cold Blood is one of the best books ever written. But uh, Capote uh, versus the Swans, not a very good show. I want it to be better but than it actually is, but it's it's fine. Point is, it's Ryan Murphy produced it, but he didn't actually do anything with it. That's kind of like typical. Pilot would be good, but the show would still flounder. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's that is that is the that is the murphy way it's always a great pilot and then it goes kerplunk but yeah. no um because capote's on the brain i think that's why we're all sort of thinking it but yeah jeremy you know really intelligent person writes some beautiful prose is a you know a talented individual but is far more interested in the social cachet of being a playwright it seems than actually being a playwright and know has become sort of their own brand and figure and that's if that's what they want like you know go for it but i for a minute when slave play came out there was a lot of animosity towards jeremy o'harris because this play had happened and they wanted it to be sort of like a big cultural moment and then jeremy o'harris was more interested in sort of stirring the pot than actually having conversations about the play yeah yeah 
I mean, do you remember what happened when Rihanna came? Oh, yeah. So Rihanna, uh, whose uh, song work is, uh, is interpolated into the, uh, the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was at the very beginning of the show. Um, she came in to watch the show uh, and she had very good house seats. She sat down and um, all eyes were on Rihanna and Rihanna opened her phone and began texting. But Rihanna is a multi-million, is a billionaire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she has businesses and things to do. And um, you could say that people were not happy. People had a lot of things to say. And Jeremy Harris uh, came to the defense of Rihanna and said that Rihanna should be on her phone and that he doesn't believe in that that uh, that ideology. That's what happened. And it stirred a big conversation in theater about it, respect. It also didn't help that she was 20 minutes late and they held the curtain for her. Yes. They, oh, yes. That was the part that happened. <laughs> it was. It, I think if it was one or the if one or the other thing happened everyone would have been miffed and it might have lasted like 24 hours and moved on. But the fact that both happened and that Jeremy defended both of those things, yeah. it got a lot of people upset because uh, he tried to make it a conversation about people who don't normally come to the theater. They don't know all the quote unquote proper etiquette as long as they're engaged who cares. And then everyone else clapped back and it's like, you just are okay with it. Cause she's a celebrity. Like if, if, the, if she was some random woman off the street, you would have read her for filth. And it, and to be honest, it came up like a star fucker, like a person, yeah. who, you know, yeah, um, who was interested in 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 that, um, and and so yeah, I I remember that conversation, but it it really did create a conversation about like cell phone usage and and um, the politics of theater and uh, if that's old hat or not. Yeah. Um, what do you? How what do, do you? you how, how do you feel about it, Marcus? I um hmm. Okay, I, I'm I'm very much um, I disagree with him, but I do feel that, that like there needs to because of just how um, my theater going experiences are, and because mm-hmm. I, I I do like there's kind of like especially in the wake of that, there's been a lot of uh, BIPOC um, playwrights and storytellers that have uh, said you know during the curtain call um, that uh, to um, not the curtain call, but at the at the start of the uh, of the uh, show, mm-hmm. to say um, that you you can yes and you can amen, you can speak out, you can clap, you can applaud, you can you know this is a play that is meant to um to arouse uh arouse um feedback. So there's been a lot of that com- you know conversation in these spaces. Um, so I believe that people should um laugh out loud and they should i know that's right and you know i feel like you know <laughs> i do feel that, that there's space for that but i think you should turn up yourself on I, I just feel that like yeah. especially if i paid i'm just thinking of a person of the you know the average consumer and the average ticket of a broadway ticket if i'm paying on the low end 80 dollars to see a ticket you know to see a, see a show um then uh i think you should turn up your cell phone I don't need you talking. And that's like on the low end. If it's a $300 ticket, $500 ticket sometimes, you know, to see, yeah. you know, name a celebrity, um, you know, do a famous role, you know, uh, I, I feel that like I, you should turn up yourself up. Yeah. So that's, yeah. That's- For me, it's not even about like what's old hat and what's new. I think if you are engaged with the play and you have an honest response to something, like I don't care what that response is. That it's always so fun to see how people react to things. Yeah. 
but yeah, no, and when it comes to cell phones, when it comes to even talking, like it's more just that theater is a communal experience. And what makes it so unique is that it is always different every night. E- even though the show is performed the next day, the audience is different. So the response is going to be different. And the actors have had a different day leading going into that theater. So even though people say, oh, you check yourself at the stage or like that, that. No, the day you had will sometimes inform the performance you're giving or if you're slightly under the weather yeah. or if there's an understudy if there's a cell malfunction like you know it's all it, it isn't going to truly be replicated down to the t you're not seeing a movie in that respect and so for any phone ring or texting or talking or whatever you are robbing everyone around you and yourself of every second that as you said you paid top dollar for so you're kind of robbing yourself you're cheating yourself yeah i will say in Miss Rihanna's defense, there is a section of the play where I can imagine texting was a little easier than than sitting and watching, if only because it went on for 70 minutes. Uh, but, you know, we'll we'll get to that when we get to that. So actually, before we do any of that, let's take a quick break. And we're back. This all comes from, by the way, I was saying how Slave Flag came into my life. I, I you know, I like actually saying how it entered my chat. That yeah. I think that's that's a, that's a better. I think that's a more fun way to say it. Here's how Slave Play entered my chat. So I was aware of it off Broadway, but you know, you couldn't get a ticket. That thing sold out before it began. I think even rehearsals and extended and sold out and. All I really knew about it was that Paul Alexander Nolan was in it, and I adore that man. Yeah, no, I saw him in Jesus Christ Superstar. That was like with uh, with Josh Young. You sure, know? same, same. That's when I first saw him too. The best, most healthily sung Jesus I've ever heard. Right, I was like, oh, he's got you know, he's got a voice. But um, I that's all I knew about Slave Play. When it came to Broadway, what I was trying to find a way to see it and not pay a million dollars because I was very poor at the time. I'm still poor, but I was much poorer then. And uh, I remember I tried to see it one day. I couldn't get a ticket. So I went to go see Tracy Lutz's Linda Vista at second stage, which was speaking of peen. And I, (laughs) and I, you know, ended up seeing slave play, believe it or not on a date. I, Yeah, well, this was somebody who I had already kind of started to see very casually, and we liked each other and everything was fine. And I I had sort of floated the idea to him of, you know, do you want to see a play tonight? And he picked Slave Play, so we saw it. And we didn't sit next to each other. I think I was in the front row of the orchestra, and I think he was front row of the mez. So we were separated, but then, you know, we rode back to his apartment afterwards and whatnot, and we talked about it on the subway. And he... He's very similar to uh, Dustin, except not nearly as confident in his opinions. You know, he was a he's a white dancer and he and he was very insecure about his opinions on the play because he was like, I just don't think I'm smart enough to get it. I'm like, I think you actually might be. And the fact that you because <laughs> he kept saying, like, well, I didn't understand this. Am I dumb? I was like, you're not dumb sweetie no uh like i i think your confusion about that is something that a lot of people are confused about 
And that was sort of where slave play ended for me. And then the Tonys happened and then it came back and it hasn't really come up in conversation since, but I bring it up every now and then to talk about the idea of art being a conversation and not just declarative statements of like, everyone should walk out knowing what it's about and knowing how to feel. And I applaud slave play for doing that, especially with its final scene. But I also have problems with it. This is a case of problematic, both how we mean it in this, in this series, which is, you know, a work that needs, that has structural issues that needs actual like reworking just to be a stronger piece. And then a show that the internet calls problematic in the way that's lazy when they are challenged and they don't want to actually deal with the challenge and they just go, well, it's problematic. Well, I think that, like, for me, um, I saw Slave Play, like, not long after I saw um, An Octoroon, mm. um, which was at uh, Soho Rep before it went to um, theater for a new audience. That's the acronym, right, Tafana? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tafana. That's a drag queen. Haven't you heard? He's <laughs> on the stage, Tafana. Actually, that name gives. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it, I, yeah. I saw it after after um, an octoroon, and I just remember. Um, which, by the way, this weekend, uh, in preparation for this, I did read that uh, both slave play and an octoroon because I saw them mm. uh, on the same time, and um, and what an octoroon was doing was it was giving you it was taking a um a piece of of theater from uh like you know this kind of antebellum novel and really reworking you know this kind of like this this theater it kind of it was actually a black author reclaiming this narrative you know um you know kind of taking over an antebellum narrative and reworking it for the 21st century and it was it was uh daring it was funny it was um harrowing it really kind of like lets you in on the atrocities of slavery while also kind of recontextualizing the black uh, black consciousness in modern theater that's what that was doing a slave play um slave play what it was doing um it's well it why the last scene is so triggering (laughs) um can i can, can we just Tell us, uh, say what, what, what yeah. happens. So, so uh, let me set let me set up the last scene, and then yes. Marcus, you go into it. Uh, one of the couples, the couple that we open the play with, Kanisha and Jim, played on Broadway by Jakina Kalakongo. Do I ever? I never know if I'm saying her last name correctly. Neither. Don't worry about. <laughs> yeah. uh, Net Nettie from the Color Purple Revival and Tony Winner for that musical. Um, and yeah. that we only refer to as that musical, but. It's her and Paul Alexander Nolan, and he's the one who ends the experiment role play on on what we now know is day four of this experiment. She's livid because, you know, she feels embarrassed. She feels betrayed because she was the one who pushed them to do this uh, therapy. She she says it's what she really needed and that he ultimately put his own comfort above hers yet again. And he's he's not listening to what she's saying. And then she's pretty much silent during this whole uh, second stretch, which is the group therapy session, dissecting what happened and what's going on with these couples. 
And that scene ends when Jim writes to her and recites it to the whole group that he loves her and he's felt for a while now that she's thought of him as some sort of virus, which he says sort of like casually, like, it's like, I don't know, like, it's like my, I feel like I repulse, you now, like I'm some sort of virus. And that word sets her off because she's like, I never thought of that. Yes, you are a virus. Your whole existence, your ancestry is a virus. And that is what's killing me. Uh, Kanisha also has OCD and uh, it's been re-triggered over the last couple of months, maybe years. And so she's part of the reason why she wanted to do this, in addition to trying to understand why Jim was fi- was starting to repulse her all of a sudden, was uh, to try to quiet the chaos in her head. And so that therapy scene ends with her kind of having a breakdown. And then the final scene is in their hotel room. And so what happened <laughs> is that during this stretch of this monologue, uh, she asked, for her husband to uh, rape her. And it doesn't end well. I believe it's basically like the end of their relationship. I mean, he carries it out and he's left in tears. She is left in a state of manic exhilaration. And that's the only way I can really describe it. It's a really, it's a warped ending. And that's the when the, that's the way the, the show ends. Why it's triggering is because you had, you know, during this long stretch of a uh, conversation in the, uh, uh, let's call it act two, because it's yeah. really a giant, a giant act, is that she's been sitting there the entire time silent. This is a space where everyone is talking. And during, during the group therapy session. During the group yeah. therapy session. Everyone is talking. Everyone has had their say. And the one person <laughs> that he is silencing he he uh he it, it becomes a, a kind of like a, a monologue for the actual uh, um what am i trying to say it becomes a uh he does exactly what he's been criticized for he silences uh the black woman you know the black femme voice um her consciousness and he um weaponizes it in the second act in the third act that is why it's triggering it's a it's a it's a i'm trying to get my thoughts together so we might have to cut this part <laughs> no, so you, you get your thoughts together uh and you don't have to listen to me i'm gonna i'm going to speak while you collect them because lord knows i know how to speak basically in that final act and it's interesting you put it that way because one of the major conversations at the end of the play and there's an article talking about it when that play was running on broadway the first time was what is that final act supposed to mean and what does that mean for kanisha and jim as a couple because ultimately as you said you know she has been asking him to do something that she says this is what i need and you want to believe that you'll do anything for your partner who you love and respect because they, if they say that's what they need, but what if what they need is something that is kind of harrowing that requires you to expose a nasty part of yourself. She wants him to be a slave owner and not really, as you said, not, I'm sorry everyone for using trigger words, but this is the play we're talking about. Not like play raper, like really kind of assault her and call her, you know, uh, racial slurs. And at first he won't do it, you know, and she gets mad at him and he doesn't understand why. Cause he's like, I love you and respect you too much to do that. She goes, if you love me and respect me, you do what I'd ask. You're putting this, this is not you respecting me. This is you putting your comfort ahead of mine. 
and and then in the and then as you said he you know she's silent for most of that group therapy section the 70 minutes until she breaks down and then that final scene when he, they're in the hotel room and he says okay I'll I will listen now I will listen to what you need and and she speaks for almost 15 minutes uninterrupted going through their entire her childhood into their relationship history and why she grew to like him it's also important to note that jim is british i think yes. that's uh it's an important fact and important detail about his character he is british whereas everyone else is american and there's reasons for that but eventually you know as she's going on and on about the relationship and, call- and calling him the virus and the virus that's in him and all these things and all of a sudden you know when things got bad with them and why she wanted to do the experiment eventually something switches and he goes back to the role playing and the way it was done on Broadway, it was intentionally vague as to what was happening, how real this was, how in control he was of his actions at this point. If we were in this sort of gray area of both fantasy and reality, Uh, but ultimately he goes back into the mode of what she said she wanted. And there's a there and there are moments when she's resisting the play. And then he had there are two moments where they kind of lock in and he kind of says to her, like, nod if you want me to keep going. But he says it like in the in in the character and she nods and they go through with it. And because it is an assault even though she says it's what she wanted and for all we know maybe it is truly what she needed it is not a it is not a happy breakthrough it is a breakthrough but it is traumatic and messy and this is actually where i would like you to go to the final page of the script and read what jeremy o'hara says in the stage directions Tanisha falls off the bed and begins to cry it is a full-bodied all hands on deck type of cry jim looks at Kanisha. Not sure what came over her, uh, what came over him. Not sure why he did what he did as the last light of the Virginia dust begins to fade away and a slight breeze knocks their window against the pane. Jim begins to crawl over to Kanisha slowly when suddenly the all hands on the deck cry becomes a guttural laugh. Kanisha is overcome. She rolls out of her spot next to the bed and crawls over to Jim where she reaches over and kisses him. Tears begin to stream again, but this time from Jim. It is an ocean of tears with waves, convulsions, and from its depths escapes a whale, warbling out from tumultuous guts. Kanisha slowly moves away from him, pulling herself to her her feet, and then, and then... And then the actress playing Kanisha does whatever she feels is right before she looks at him. Thank you, baby. Thank you for listening. End of play. Mm-hmm. Now, Mark Heff, when I first saw this play, I did not think this was actually the end of their relationship. I thought, to quote that musical that she won a Tony for, it was their way of letting it burn, meaning like their relationship for all the love that's in there was built off of a toxic, poisonous foundation. Mm -hmm. And she 
she's even she says it at one point in her monologue of sort of like in order for us to continue i need us to acknowledge the poison and the night i saw it and i didn't realize that it could change night to night the night i saw it the way jakina played the last bit she sat down on the edge of the bed looked out at the audience touched paula alexander nolan's hand and said very calmly and very almost at peace Thank you, baby. Thank you for listening. And I thought to myself, they just set fire to this toxic foundation so they could build a new. I think they're that in a weird, fucked up way, they might make it. And I had other people who had seen the play saying the same thing to me. And then I had other people who said, absolutely not. They're done. Well, to be fair, I didn't see. I saw it with uh, Tiana Paris, who was in uh, Chirac and who was in. Um, she's she's. Uh, she plays Monica Rambeau in the Mar- the Marvel uh, films, <laughs> and and as well as WandaVision. How dare you neglect that piece of television WandaVision. artistry? <laughs> yes, and also uh, she played Dawn in Mad Men. Like she didn't go to Broadway because she's very booked and blessed, and basically like she kind of stopped by to do off Broadway for a second in between her millions of Hollywood gigs. I would love to hear uh, your thoughts on her performance, as I also talk about Shakina, but. What I didn't realize was, and then I read this article in my research for this, it was pretty much up to Jakina every performance, how she was going to deliver those last three minutes. And it's because it's in the script that it's up to her. And in the article I read, the 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 review, uh, sorry, the columnist asked everyone, do you think they stay together? And Paul Alexander Nolan said yes. And I think part of that is because in order for him to get through doing that day after day he's like i need to have some sense of like hope in the world i can't like do that if i think that everything's awful like i will kill myself but he he says yes uh one actor says no the direct the director robert o'hara literally says i don't know uh he's like don't ask me he's like i don't have those answers um and they even ask him like what's the end of the play about and he's like i have no answers uh and then jakin is like some nights i play it and there's absolutely no hope and some nights i play it and i'm not sure and so I realize now that in addition to the fact that the last lines are intentionally um, triggering conversation, also just the way it was presented, like I could have seen it on a Wednesday and you could have seen it on a Saturday. And and this is what I was talking about with like, stop texting. You don't know what performance you're going to get. It never is going to totally be the same. Like either performance you saw, Jakina or um, uh, Tiana would have been like, tonight's the night we're like, there is no hope or tonight's the night that there is hope. Yeah. Yeah, Tiana played that last bit. It was very. Um, it was almost like she was kind of possessed by something. Yeah, uh, she, uh, she when she's saying virus, she's like screaming at the top of her lungs. It almost kind of sounded like a banshee scream. And, yeah. Uh, when we get to that last beat of the show, it was almost like she had was having experience in, or, in an orgasm. Yeah, it's, you know when I saw it, um, there was kind of like a release of "oh, thank you, baby," like, and she kind of like almost like she was smoking a cigarette. <laughs> like, you, know, after, you know, that's what it felt like. That's what it, that's what it seemed like. Um, that was my takeaway, and and he's like just a puddle of a man. Yeah, it looked like um, I yeah, like I I I see what you mean, but it looked like it she had set like fire, you know they set fire to the relationship like they're like there was no foundation like yeah could there be 
it was it was if she played it like angela bassett setting fire to the car and walking away she was like yeah. it's done we're over <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's um i think and i let me, let me also be very clear even if it was the start of maybe a healthier spot for them like if that's how we want to play it i'm i'm still not sure if like it's a couple that can actually make it because like that's not something that can be sustained in a healthy manner forever i say this as someone who's like seen a couple of major relationships pretty up close like totally unable to sustain the passion and the toxicity even if like we're communicating oh no we're ripping uh we're going back to studs and 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 starting starting fresh it's like no every time you keep having to go back to basics every time you keep having to burn down the house there's something i mean there that means there's something rotted in the ground and you have to go off and find new land well that's actually i mean this is where i think uh, the show is successful and why I think it's better, not better, but like more a more successful show than a show like The Inheritance. Uh, the Inheritance, um, that was a show that he's looking at the, um, the, the you know, this Ian Foster, like, you know, novel and he's putting it into mm-hmm. to his consciousness. He's looking at the evolution of, of um, gay, uh, men gay 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 uh safety gay um just like the you know the gay community yeah um, you know uh like in my, you know from from the lost generation let's just say that to now um slave play uh succeeds where it's it's looking at fundamentally like the damages of uh, you know, or what could be the damages or the extremes of inter- being in an interracial relationship, what that could feel like mm-hmm. uh, from a black lens. Um, and um, and that's why I think it's successful uh, because a lot of the time you are, uh, you do you feel like you're not, you're not heard. You feel like you're not seen. You feel like you have to do a lot of teaching, a lot of explaining, um, a lot of coddling. Um, and you do bury your um your your feelings, your um, your your insecurities, you bury that deep so you can protect your partner, so you can be with your partner. Um, and in this moment, um, it's showing the history, you know, like of 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 the transatlantic slave trade. It's look, it's showing you that in this very violent act, um. And uh, and and what that is, and where it comes from, and like essentially what you are doing to your partner on the daily, on a spiritual, philosophical, and psychological level. That's why I think it's successful. Also, um, you know, the inheritance has the first half, which is great, and the second half isn't. <laughs> but but. That being the, <laughs> that being the case, I think why this is so triggering it for some some people it's um I think what is it called antebellum sexual therapy, which is the actual like what they're what the uh, characters are, are allowing themselves to go through yeah. um and it's happening in a in a an actual plantation home you know th- these are uh what what we're seeing <laughs> is uh the rot um of 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 american history mm-hmm. you know and, and you're watching it faster why this play is successful and why that moment 
Um, but why that moment is so, I don't want to say problematic to say problematic, but like why, why it's so, um, well, you had mentioned earlier that it felt when you saw it like the balloon was deflating. So I guess why it, why it was detrimental to the piece's success. Yes, um, because yeah, the first with the first scene you get that like especially with that the reveal of like oh it's been a it's been a therapy thing the entire time and this head kind of collapses, and then you have this actually it's a with the exception of her uh, not having a voice in that in that it's a you know that second act is brilliantly written. Um, then you get to this moment and the one scene where you have, you know, this black woman actually taking up space, she's asking for assault. She's asking for violence to be taken, you know, uh, against her. And this is, you know, this is a piece about in many ways, safe spaces, you know, why is she asking for her, her, um, her, you know, violence against herself? you know, to find some level of freedom. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> the whole play is about creating a safe space, being safe with your partner, being safe in a country that refuses, you know, that refuses your rights, that politics, your hair, that politics, your body, that politics, uh, your mind, that steals your, from your culture religiously. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, and, you know, this is this is so we're watching literally an infinity space on stage the entire time. And so when you're watching this piece, you're expecting this couple to find a level of safety to kind of get back to that. And she's asking for the exact opposite. Yeah. Which also makes you kind of think it makes you question the integrity of the piece. It's kind of it comes when you start thinking about that. It's kind of like Jenga. <laughs> you're yeah. watching. <laughs> yeah every every argument one could make for the play once you take out the, uh, that piece all arguments start to it's not that they fall apart so much as like they lose some of the power of that of, of the argument when you have to take everything else into account yeah I mean, and and we i want to make sure we also talk about honestly the three other couples you know the uh yes. philip alana gary dustin and then the two uh doctors but i mean i think it, there's I, there's a reason why Kanisha why uh, that role was considered the female lead of the play even though as you said in that therapy section that seventy minute therapy section she is mostly quiet because ultimately she is I believe the sort of pinpoint of what the show is getting at the conundrum and the multiple facets that I think Harris is talking about in you know the the pain and the intelligence and the clarity and the trauma and the strength like all wrapped up in one human experience and you know she ultimately chooses violence to get her healing and even and it's hard to decide and i think that's again what if not necessarily makes it for me uh, a successful play successful art if if people can understand what I mean by that, uh, the the conversation of you know can it even can it truly be healing if it is coming from a place of fire uh, when that is how you find sex erotic is to make it this borderline violent aggressive place you know sex no longer becomes intimate and a safe space as we were saying like it becomes warfare. 
and you can't go to war every time you're in the mood. Not every time, yeah, but it, it, it's a spice, you know. And and sometimes it can be healing <laughs> if you're if you're if you're if you're angry with each other and you need to sort of like get out the aggression. If you're having a bad day, things like that. But like, what about like you know? God forbid, like your wedding day. You don't want that first night is like we're finally married. Now I need you to get angry at me. Like that's not. I don't think that that's a a really great place. Just because like anger is not a place you want to live in forever. It really yeah. can affect you. And I, I for all the ways in which I think you know you can argue as I already did like that maybe Kanish and Jim do start to grow from there. Like as I also said how long they are able to maintain satisfaction is up for debate. Cause there's no way that that can really sustain for the rest of their couple them, yeah. you know, but what I would like to argue for myself, you had mentioned that you found the middle section, the group therapy section brilliantly written. And yeah. I agree with you to an extent, mm-hmm. as I said, I think Harris is, do we say Harris or Oh Harris? We say, Oh Harris. Oh Harris. Right. Oh, That's Harris. the, the way he, you know, oh Harris, yeah, oh Harris, that that sounds, you know, yeah. You, the way you just said that, it was like, oh Harris, her. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's a period. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh Harris, uh, no, it's, uh, that middle section, that group therapy section, for me, when I first saw it, it kind of infuriated me as a theater goer, and I was a little more up on it when I rewatched it maybe because I knew it was coming and I had the memories of disliking it so much the first time that I was less disdainful of it although I still have issues with it if only because there is so much going on in that scene so many points being made and I'm like oh my god yes let's explore it and then not only do they not get explored we just we move on to a new point that again is another wonderful point to make but it also then also comes in Truly, everyone's sitting around and talking. And as someone who does podcasts, I love doing this podcast. I'm loving this moment with you here now. This is this group chat is wonderful. I never, ever, ever want to make this a play. I don't, as much as I'm loving this, I don't ever want to write a two and a half hour play about you and me sitting here talking about this play. Yeah, yeah it's and, this could be a scene, but not a play. Yeah, no, I, 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 the reason why I enjoy it so much is because there are so many park and bark shows. Yeah. Um, but because this is therapy, I've just felt like that kind of like worked for me. I mean, like, and you know, what is that? What is that? What is that? Um, that show on HBO in, in treatment, uh, treatment that, yeah. that show is just a person sitting down and talking, you know, so it like it, it worked for me in that way, but also like I, you know, I, to just to kind of um defend myself, I love that play, that 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 act. I do feel that like what makes that act not work is because is that, um, and maybe that's the point is that a black woman is being silenced or you know she's not talking. People mm-hmm. are talking over her, and she's kind of silent the entire time, um, and she's not listened to, and no one really acknowledges, or rather, it's acknowledged at the very beginning, but like. They're, we're there for a whole hour and she's silent. You know? Yeah. Like, um, and so that is why I um I find it I find I find it not a successful scene just because it's like we have all these characters and like why is she there if she's yeah. not Mrs. Theater, right? Yeah. Um, it's a very slow burn. And she's also not the only uh person of color who gets silenced in that piece. There there's like a long running joke that the that the character of Patricia 
keeps getting silenced by Taya, the other uh, yes. therapist or partner. And then also like constantly by Jim and the actress playing Patricia is very transparent about how much she hates Jim. Like, like every time he says something, he's like, he finds the whole thing ridiculous. And she's trying, she and Taya for the first half are trying to be positive, like and safe space and, and overly articulating things that make no sense. And at any point, like Jim will undercut it with like a thing. And at one point even says like, can I use the restroom? And Patricia's like, no one's stopping you, Jim. Like, get the fuck out. (laughs) Um, no, I, well, I mean, I feel like as as we're talking about it, I feel like everyone gets silenced um, with uh, the couple of, I believe it's Philip and Alana. Yeah. They're, um, you know, the whole point is that he was the a third in, the, was the original third in, the, in her couple. She was married. She was, a form, she was formerly married. Yeah. A white man. Um, and he and and uh, they both had uh sexual fantasies of this blended or interracial man, uh, yeah. uh, and he was welcomed to into their bedroom, and she and Philip wound up becoming a couple, yes. Um, and um, and so much of their relationship is predicated also on uh, on age like he's like he's like 10 15 20 years older younger than her in the script it says about 10 i think because the actress playing alana read a little older it felt like 15 but yeah i mean i don't think he's supposed to be that much younger but he is younger he is definitely younger um and so what we're looking at is we're looking at power we're looking at age and we're looking at um uh, we're also looking at kind of the racial divide because he is, you know, rather he, you know, even if he's blended, uh, you know, uh, or mixed, he, there, there's he still reads as a black man. He's seen yeah. as a black man to the world, um, and even though he lives in this kind of this interesting um, kind of invisible space, or rather, or rather the opposite, like he's seen as this kind of like black superhero Adonis kind of character. You know, that's how, that's definitely how he views himself. That's very how that's how he views himself. But if you look at him, I mean, he's ripped, he's shredded. Oh, yeah, you yeah know, the actor playing him, I was like, oh yes, please break my arm. But oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, yeah, you, yeah, you saw um, what is his name? You saw I forget his. He's he's like not Sullivan Jones. That was the person. Was, uh, Sullivan Jones is who did it off Broadway and on Broadway. The okay, re- so, yeah. Okay. So the person who there's another person and he he looks he's very attractive as well, <laughs> um, you know. But like, but yeah, he, this is a guy who's you know shredded, he's ripped, he has like clear skin, he looks like you know a model, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and there is a privilege that comes with that, you know. You know, whether you're a person watching the show or not, like your eyes do kind of fixate on him because of all of the markers. That we that were told that that we're told that are attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, that we're told that kind of reads as alpha. If you're if you're one of those people who believe in alpha, beta, sigma, whatever, <laughs> you know your eyes kind of go to him. He becomes this like this vessel of um of 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 uh, power and security. Um, but uh, what we wind up seeing in that relationship is that she talks over him. 
a lot. <laughs> um, a lot of his needs, a lot of his um his feelings, a lot of his uh uh anxieties kind of get pushed down and make it comfortable. And um what I will say about the scene that never worked for me, um, and it's it's we we it's alluded to, but we it's never really spoken about, but like kind of like how we uplift white femininity at all costs in this country. Mm-hmm globally <laughs> you know um this is a person who you know she uh she cries and he kind of they're there and he kind of buries his feelings mm-hmm. to make her happy um and uh and to you know kind of to satiate her her um her doubts um and uh when the kind of chickens come to roost i mean he gets to say but I feel that's a, that's a relationship that's not going to work either, you know. Mm-hmm. And actually, one could argue the the one relationship that could possibly last, I think, is the gay couple, <laughs> you know, because they they at least you're getting some kind of communication. This right here felt like when he even when he uh he tells her what the problem is, yeah. Um, it's it almost feels like a performance within the space. Yeah. So Philip. It's so fascinating the way that because the way yeah you're right when they're presented at first it the joke is just from first glance you know he's kind of a himbo he's tall he's hot he's ripped he doesn't talk much yeah, she, yeah Alana kind of a Karen I mean uh, but more of um who is the who is that bird watching Karen that got canceled in the park do you remember what I'm talking about. I, I don't, but was she the one who was turned into a meme? The one <laughs> she like called the police and started fake crying. I don't feel safe because yeah. he was yes. bird watching. Yeah. The one yeah. that, um, yeah, people started using is, is like not like it's like a Karen in disguise. They they vote Democrat, but they're they're a Karen. And Alana is kind of that. And I don't think she's necessarily. Antagonistic, but they're for, they're all very self-centered in the way I think any human being can be. But yeah, the joke at first is just sort of like Alana's classic white Becky talks over everyone. Like she's got to know she's right. She also, it's very clear. She wants this to work the way that it was originally done with uh, Annie, Annie McNamara. She was always constantly checking her notebook to make sure she had the correct quotes from the therapists. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're, they're a running joke would be like, um, you said on day two and like goes through her notes. She goes, you said X, Y, Z, Z, Z. And, and there's this, and there's this great early joke where she's talking about, they're asking like, okay, how did we all feel about day four? You know, we prep for this and watched the movies and well, and you know, now that we're in it, you know, let's talk about what we felt. And she goes on saying all these positive things and like checking on Philip to making sure that he feels the same way. And the way Annie McNamara played it, she's, she's turns, she goes, right, right, baby. It's you felt, you feel the same way. And there's yeah. a beat and uh, D- Sullivan Jones just goes, yeah, it was pretty hot. And she goes, Oh, thank God. She, and <laughs> she's like, great. He felt the same way. We're good. We're good. We're on the same page. And it's, I think that something that, I feel like slave play as a as a whole again sort of touches on without truly wanting to get down deep in it. It's something I actually talked about in the Miss Saigon episode, which how familiar are you with Miss Saigon, the the music? 
Very funny. Phenomenal. So then you know all about Ellen. <laughs> Ellen, who says, my husband of a year wakes up in the middle of the night sweating, screaming someone else's name. But we're totally fine. My husband. And then and then like they he tells her, oh, now, we, you know, it turns out I've got a kid with this woman I I shacked up with for two weeks in, in Saigon. They go out there. She finds out, oh, he loved her. Oh, they got kind of fake married. Oh, like whole all these things he didn't tell me. And yeah. still and still Ellen goes, we'll be OK. We're totally going to be OK. Yeah. And if Miss Saigon were a more brave piece, if the, I know Nick Heitner is gay, but like if there was one true straight hating homosexual on that writing team, like if there was a Tennessee Williams in the room, he'd be like, I need to have it more clear that Ellen is delusional and that this coupledom is doomed. And because yes. in a way, it's sort of like Jeremy Harris is satirizing how we as a society, and I'm 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 possibly totally projecting, but we as a society put such value on being part of a couple, of having a partner, of being in a relationship. Mm. It's always the ultimate goal, and we will do whatever it takes. To keep that relationship going, even if it is so clear to everyone else in the room, you need to just walk away. This is done. This is dead. And I think all four couples in their way have a a possibility of surviving and also a clear cut sign that it's dead. You know, as as you brought up, the way Philip and Alana started was Mm -hmm. through a cuckolding fantasy. Yes. And Philip who again up until then is presented as sort of a himbo has a major breakthrough and unfortunately it's a breakthrough to the detriment of his relationship with alana uh which is he's because part of the reason all these couples are there because they're having intimacy issues you know kenesha is is not finding jim sexual philip is having erectile dysfunction gary has been unable to ejaculate yeah and while they're there, you know, Kanisha's finally feeling sexual again, but it's at the cost of Jim feeling like they're being loving and intimate. Now it's got to kind of be violent. Uh, Alana yeah. and Philip, Alana's got to shove something up Philip's butt to, and, you know, she's got to be the dominant one now, so to speak. Gary finally does ejaculate, and it's because Dustin is licking his boots. <laughs> Um, and then Taya and Patricia, we will get to, but they don't, they got nothing sexual going on there and they are basically in lab coats, but yeah, yeah. (laughs) Philip realizes that he was never, he never had an issue with erectile dysfunction before. It was once he and Alana got together that he did. And it's because to him, you you were, you were saying like, even though he's mixed race, you know, he's both viewed, uh, for his as his ethnicity but then also not at the same time he he tells a story about being in boarding school because uh, he had a relatively you know not i would say prestigious but like a, a upper middle class upbringing i guess is how we would say it and he talked about you know being on the soccer field with all these white boys and and being so much better than them at the sport and then they're in the locker room and someone makes a comment about his genitalia and his race and someone going like oh you know 
he's not black. He's Philip. And he says, that's how you treat me. I'm not black. I'm Philip. He goes, but I found it hotter when I was being fetishized because of my race. And why, why did you, first of all, why would you think that is for someone like Philip who says so earnestly, I'm just, you know, like says around the, you know, the group, you know, I don't know. I'm just this hot dude. I'm this like, well, I'm walking sex, you know? And he says it so confidently and earnestly that it's funny. Cause even if it's true, it's like who honestly looks in the mirror and goes, God, it's so difficult. I walk out every day and people just want to fuck me. <laughs> I mean, you know, we wish we all had that problem. Um, <laughs> I literally make that joke to my mom all the time. She goes, Matt, what's it, you know, what's your day to day like? I go, you know, mom, I leave the house and people just want to fuck me. And I'm like, can I just buy my groceries? <laughs> but for uh, Philip, it's true. The Philip, no, it's it's true. Your your eyes go immediately to him. Like he's just he is uh, just a very attractive man. Um, and uh, but he's talking to a um a, a thing that I feel like the people don't really explore, especially black actor, uh, black writers. It's it's talking about kind of like there is power in being sexually fetishized. You know, one of the things that in that locker scene, I mean, like they're talking about his genitalia, but like. He's, you know, it's bigger than everyone else's. His body, you know, is more toned and more defined than everyone else's. Um, you know, there, there's a power in that. And you kind of, you know, he's seen not just as a man, but as a Superman, you know? Yeah. And the where the hurt comes in is that, like, when you are in that invisible space, <laughs> where you're not Black enough, you, you kind of have to find different ways, different vehicles to kind of, like assert your blackness that's why we have code switching that's why we have you know um we wear hair in our in our in our clothes a certain way there's a reason you know why we why we do certain things you know um there's a a meme going around right now about like black people who talk white you know <laughs> like and like kind of the stereotypes that come with that Philip yeah. is a black person who talks white he's a he's a black person who is red as safe you wouldn't, you know, you would, you know, if you were in the middle of the night, someone would probably walk up to him asking him for help, you know, not the opposite. You wouldn't feel danger from him. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, and while, uh, and that could be a, a form of safety once again, cause this is a piece about safe spaces and infinity spaces. It's also a, a space where you can feel isolated and uh, like on your, your own, island you're you know your own desert island and that's what he uh philip is kind of like you know going through i i feel that like what what uh o'harris is doing in that with 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 that particular character is uh, very powerful it's actually one of the best parts of the, the show looking at their relationship because there's so many times where um she's looking for I don't think she's looking for affirmation. You know, she's looking for him to just kind of like go along with it, to agree. And that's so much of for him to share that story and to kind of like make that reveal. I mean, of, of you just see me as Philip, that right there kind of like takes that away and it really kind of like shatters her. But she's still, even through the tears, even through that revelation, she's still asking him to kind of go along with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think she cares for him and i i but yeah. i think i think that again first first of all i was looking up by the way i i had to google bird watching karen her name was amy cooper uh <laughs> i was like is there a particular name or was, i was like is it becky are we trying to say that you know becky or <laughs> yeah no i think but becky i think now is what we refer to as the other woman 
or the or the woman that or the other person that your partner would like to be with or is flirting well, with yeah well yeah abeki abeki um is is you know somebody i mean this is not explored in this particular piece but usually abeki is uh it's short for rebecca but it's all it's the light-skinned or or white woman the person that like your partner uh goes with yeah it's it's usually because you know because of just how america is um you know there's mm-hmm. a lot of there's a you know there's become a preference for white femininity and mm-hmm. uh, and so you see a lot of men of color um because white women are seen as this kind of trophy kind of mm-hmm. going for like women of lighter complexion light skin so that's what the becky is uh, so so alana is a bit is a bit of a becky slash amy cooper but no, i mean i think alana cares for philip but what he's saying is you are trying to uh erase my ethnicity and saying it that it doesn't matter. You, no, Alana is the kind of woman who says I don't see race, and do. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's and and Philip is like, no, 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 see my race. You know, I, you know, he, I, I want to be worshipped for that, and and or even fetishized for that. And you could argue that that itself is problematic, but it reminds me of I couldn't find the article itself, but I was trying to find exactly what inspired. O'Harris to write the play because I remember him saying he was like at a dinner party or something and somebody was going on about a sexual experience they had and saying you know how hot it was and blah blah blah. and O'Harris just said like very flippantly well how hot would that be if that person were black because it was something along the lines of like role play and saying how hot the role play was and O'Harris basically was like well if they were black like would that still be hot and I don't think he meant it in a way of saying you're problematic. I think he truly just wanted to sort of stick his finger in there and go ta-da and walk away. Like that's something he loves to do. It's very true, McAvoy. He's like, well, what about this? And then just you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Strike the match. Oops, there was kerosene. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> and I think that is sort of the question of, you know, when does it stop being hot and when does it become a problem? Because think about all the other things we fetishize, uh, the gay community, you know, mm-hmm. oh, older men, so hot. Do we yeah. say, oh, I don't see eight. When we say age is just a number, it's like, well, no, your age is real because it, it speaks to your experiences and, and where you are in your life mentally and emotionally uh, to say, to fetishize someone's body parts, their ass, their face, their hair. You think of how people are now using AI to come up with thirsty photos of Tom Holland on Instagram or Henry Cavill. And when does that go from being playfully thirsty to, oh, I'm actually fetishizing things that define who you are and and your uh, your subgroup, you know? Uh when does it as a as a jewish person do i would i find it offensive if someone's like oh you know it's so hot those jewish men i go to see fiddler and i just i i touch myself i mean there are bagel queens right like that's <laughs> is that the, is that a term that's a term yeah <laughs> like people who like look at like look after <laughs> yeah bagel queens i believe they're yeah they're people who chase after jewish men mark has <laughs> I did not know this here on this here day. Is there a dating app for these people? 
because <laughs> yes there are there's a dating app for everything now listen yeah. if philip and alana Camino, whatever that app was that they talked about that was specifically about white women looking for black men to fuck in front of their husbands i'm like there's got to be an app for everything is there I mean, an app for for is there an app for rich older men who just want to cuddle and watch working girl for younger jewish boys who talk a lot because that is if there is i want to be on that app grinder <laughs> i'm kidding who the that... fuck wants to cuddle on grinder actually no there was a time there was a time towards the end of lockdown and like right as we were all exiting lockdown when all people wanted to do on grinder was like talk and cuddle and it was like a it was a glorious nine months where people were actually trying to date on there and then it went straight back to monkey you know, yeah, monkey, <laughs> yeah monkey pox yeah and then it became straight back to you know pissing on my feet daddy Spitting in people's mouths, yes. And speaking oh. of spit, speaking of spit and piss, I think we should now talk about the gay couple, Dustin and Gary. Yes. Um, the, okay. Why I think this is probably the better drawn uh, relationship in in the show mm-hmm. is that we kind of get a, a start in. Um, we kind of get like a a culmination of their relationship in this one act. Dustin what, uh, is in not as he's a. With, He's he's spicy white, you know. We don't know, it, he you know he's he's a he's a, a, a or with a white passing BIPOC. Person. Yeah, that's that's essentially the gist because he's what what exactly how does O'Hara describe him in the character breakdown in the script? Because he says he is not white or like or he is white, but he's like the lowest form of white, something like that. It's a white man, but the lowest type of white, dingy and off white, twenty eight. 28 and i think the actor who played him on broadway james moyer i uh, think yeah james moyer uh, uh, Kus- kusadi uh, moyer yeah i i be- i want to say he's half hispanic maybe yes i think yeah. so yeah but you know white passing and and very much part of the script because dustin gets offended anytime someone calls him white and and we'll get into all that in a second and because eventually gary goes you keep saying that but what exactly are you and th- that is never answered no it's never answered by him or by um what is her name her name is taya it's a Ta- yeah uh no not taya uh patricia because patricia is a light brown woman who knows many uh, lives. Thirty. Oh wait. Uh, oh sorry. I I I take that back. Because uh, I I I I don't know why I reversed them. I thought that Taya was the. No, Taya is uh, is is blended. She's black and white. Okay. Um, and then uh, Patricia is half. Is is, is uh was half Latina, but, but only because. Uh, she she doesn't really say that either. She never like she never says what she is. She just you know she just when 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 the conversation comes up, you kind of see kind of like a, a, her um her accent uh, ever so shifts a little bit. She yes. begins rolling her R's. She begins oh <laughs> on 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 the Broadway stage. Patricia yeah. did not uh did not make that subtle. She fully went into Sofia Vergara and and to make it crystal clear to the to dustin that she sees him she hears him now kindly shut the fuck up uh yeah. 
because <laughs> Dustin was going off and uh, going on and on about you know his heritage and I'm not white and I'm feeling you know violence from Alana for saying only the white men are talking I'm not white and he like goes to the mirror to cry and Patricia's like forgive me everyone for this but she says something along the lines of like Dustin I know you're feeling it I must say as a <laughs> as a half white person myself but I was like I see you I feel you it's like now go back to the session. Um and, <laughs> and Dustin the actor playing Dustin did this whole thing of like the fuck and then he realized that like they were in a similar boat ethnically speaking and yeah. she 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 and Patricia and Taya for most of that group therapy session as they are you know it's their experiment they are mm-hmm. trying so hard as we said before like to keep an open safe space and keep everything positive you know Taya's always like yeah that go woo and always getting silenced and you know they're always interrupting each other but they get more and more frustrated as not only do they keep interrupting each other but like people will have breakthroughs that aren't necessarily like the breakthroughs they're asking for or like or or they're or they're just getting like fully frustrated with their subjects like these goddamn motherfuckers like can they shut like yes we're studying you but can you also shut the fuck up (laughs) yeah no it's um it's what becomes so fascinating about that uh, that conversation, um, yeah, because uh, Gary's talking about, you know, he's a dark-skinned Black man, mm-hmm. you know, um, and um, he's been in this relationship uh, with this, you know, with, with, uh, with Dustin. And th- so much of the relationship has been him kind of, you know, being seen as like, Oh, you're with this like beautiful white man, you know, a white passing man, and like you should be lucky. Yeah, you know, and it's not something that he's saying to his partner, um, but it's something. It's how the world views them, and so when you, he's confronted with this, a lot of it is, you know, um, one of my favorite lines in the show actually, which is, uh, which is, they're talking about like, you know, uh, the role playing at the beginning of it. He said, "Well, I said, you know, I'm an actor." Okay, I said yes, and <laughs> it's such a, <laughs> such a great line. Um, and, and and the the audience, I will say, both the, when I saw it and then when I watched it at the library, the way he says I'm an actor, the audience is already losing it, and because yeah. they're talking about why did the improv stop, and they reveal Jim is the one who stopped the improv because he was uncomfortable, and Alana saying I feel betrayed. We did all these all all this prep. We, we were told to go with it and not stop if we could help it. And as he said, Dustin goes, I'm an actor. I said, yes, and. And, <laughs> and, and the entire Golden Theater just erupted. So funny. Um, and, and you know, and so you see, you know, he's really trying because, you know, there is love there. He, he you know, let's be real. This is, you know, gay culture. <laughs> there's, you know, uh, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of stereotypes with regards to like being faithful Mm-hmm. You know, being monogamous, um, you know, kind of like, you know, people abandoning the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a person who's really, you know, they're both young. They, you know, they, you know, but they're, I think they're like one of the youngest, I think they are the youngest couple. Yeah. Um, if, I believe Kanisha is the next youngest to them. She's supposed to be about almost, if not 30, almost 30. And they're both like a year or two below her. The doctors were kind of together too, right? They're a couple. Yeah, we, we'll get to that because yes, they are they are very much together, and they're they're, they're together. And this is how this whole experiment came to be. 
Yeah. Um, this is a uh, a relationship that, like, you know, they've been around, they've been together, um, you know, for a, a little bit, not not as long as everyone else, but this is a, this is two people trying to kind of keep the relationship. Not that everyone else isn't trying, but like it almost feels like, you know, this is a person who really adores his partner and is mm-hmm. trying to happen. Um, and but there's a lot of uh, a, a lot of um, conversations that he's not really privy to. Yeah, you know that are that are happening, or that that or rather that he's just kind of oblivious to. Yeah, and oblivious, you know that that obliviousness kind of seeps into the relationship, and it's uh and it's affected the, you know, his partner's inability to to uh, to orgasm, <laughs> um, and uh, I I think that I I think that um what what O'Harris is looking at particularly um in this particular couple is like the value uh of of a couple and how that can kind of give way in, in different ways to like comp- competition mm-hmm. you know like in every couple you know this this one is the smart one this is the this this one over here is the cultured one you know mm-hmm. this is the funny one this is the better looking one in the couple um and there's a lot of conversations that are happening that he's kind of not really privy to that Gary's kind of ha- is having to illuminate to him, mm-hmm. and so so that's where we get to like probably the best monologue in the uh, the show, which is the you know I am the prize monologue. Yeah, you know, um, in that monologue, you know he's he's talking about kind of like the his the you know the lack of value the value or rather the value system in the gay community, and uh, in, in the in the in the community in general. But how these two people came together, and yet he has to put his partner like almost without having to acknowledge it. Like at all times, his partner's kind of on the pedestal. Yeah, he's kind of, and he's uh, kind of seen as like as a, this prize, and and he's having to you know. There's a lot of you you know you should you should be thinking your lucky stars every day and falling on your knees because you got this like. A, you know, a very attractive white man, and then how and what what that looks like on stage, and I feel like it's kind of the the heartbeat, in many ways, of a lot of the problems that we see in other, all the other couples. He articulates it in the best way he can through that monologue. Yeah, well, and so I think what makes their dynamic fascinating, and part of it's the writing, part of it was those actors, because there was a moment when. They're kind of at odds for most of that scene, even in the sexual role play. Like they're part of what makes it fun to watch them is like sort of how ridiculous they're both sort of finding each other and trying to one up the other one. And there's they, you know, they do this big like choreographed fight at the beginning and they get they get down to their underwear and it's they are they are both very attractive men and thus and with very incredible bodies so yeah, yeah. Really? they knew it robert o'hara knew what he was doing when he was like uh, you gentlemen you'll be in your underwear thank you very much uh <laughs> but there there are there would be moments during the session when the actors um um james kusadi moyer and uh edo blankson wood when like 
Alana would say something kind of Alana-ish and they would kind of like give each other a look. And it would it would be these moments of going like, oh, that's the couple that met. That's that's the when they met each other. That's the couple sort of still finding that connection through all of this. Part of it is, you know, as gay men, I think one of our love languages is judgment. We yeah. <laughs> yes, that's very true. Particularly of straight people. It's all like if if you and your and your partner are having troubles, find someone out there who's straight and ridiculous so you can look at each other and be like this bitch. And <laughs> I swear to god like that flame will start will start glowing again. But yeah, there'd be like moments with Lana where they'd be like this bitch or sometimes Philip would say something Philippy and they'd be like is he for real? <laughs> and it would just be it would just be looks that they would give each other or like holding each other. And it's very smart intricate direction of actors to make sure that those moments happen because out you know outside of me maybe jim and kanisha actually no, i would say tay and patricia also don't really have this but maybe that's just because they're working like philip and alana you see moments in their dynamics and the way they are with each other where you're like oh i see how this was you know maybe nice once you know you yeah. still there's still a communication there there's still a love there even if there's a lot of there are a lot of obstacles right now. And the same is true of Dustin and Gary. But what also uh, O'Harris does is, you know, has these characters speak what is ultimately truths of the world and also their truth, but maybe not necessarily the truth of the relationship, if that makes sense. Like they'll say something and it's rooted in truth because the world has proved it so and their feelings are their feelings. But he's also saying, like, it's not necessarily fact, because when Gary does do the I am the prize speech, says to Dustin, when we met, it was so lovely. You were so beautiful. But and I also felt like, you know, you were presenting yourself to me as this prize. He goes, and that's how the world sees us. And motherfucker, I'm the prize. And he's like, and that's why I was able to come, because you were worshiping me for once. And you know he and 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 speaks uninterrupted and it's and part of the reason why it's filled with a lot of vitriol is to his credit Taya and Patricia are like i think Gary and Dustin should speak right now and they should be allowed to speak from a place of aggression which is yeah never the best advice for couples to be like like you're angry speak on that anger like say everything you want to say right now from a super angry place just do it don't worry about it like all all good and it's like no because when you're angry you often say stuff in the heat of the moment that you don't always mean uh it's just because you need to get the bile out and gary's getting a lot of the bile out and when he finishes dustin doesn't let him walk away Mm. he it's it's a very cunning just what does that mean you know you know he says all this stuff and again to me and i would love to hear uh, your thoughts on how true you think it is in their actual relationship or if it's just true to Gary or if it's true just sort of on the thematic level. But Gary says all this stuff and then Dustin basically with maybe four or five lines cuts through it and it's just like that's not all true and you know it. You know, that's not like literally what he says but the what does that mean he he makes Rather than Gary basically emotionally vomit all over Dustin and get to walk away, he holds him in the room after he's done it. And yeah. I would have loved it 
if it could have gone a little further, but instead it goes right to violence, which I I get on an emotional level that is very Tennessee Williams esque, but like it for me it sort of it shows how there's so much about this play where I see the meat and I see what so many people love about it, and I think that there's so much of this play that's worth discussing, and it is a worthy play to have in the canon, but ultimately why. I think it's not a good play because for all these moments where i'm like yes the steam train's going we're going we're going it gets smashed in by something else and that is a brilliant it's a wonderful problem to have of a writer who's got a million thoughts and can talk about them so insightfully and then i'm like okay jeremy i need someone to come up to you and be like we need to cut five of your points and put them in a folder for another play well that that happened and he said no (laughs) <laughs> I mean, <laughs> okay i wasn't gonna say it marcus do you remember what you said to me when i saw another play by a black writer last year and i said it felt like i needed another draft oh <laughs> I, yes <laughs> I, I i i you had asked me like you were like oh what do we think and i was like i mean it's a really cool idea there's a lot of good, good stuff going on but like it needs another draft do you remember what you said yes <laughs> would you like to say it now on Maynard or are you going to make me really, say it? Hold on, really, hold on. What did I say? Oh, okay. Yes. Um, <laughs> with, with black playwrights in particular, there are a lot of these institutions get a little scary and they, they get, they, they, uh, they, they, they don't want to, um, I think this is what I said. Yeah. A lot of institutions, a lot of theaters get, af- get very afraid and they don't want to, uh, to, to push back. They're they're kind of you know, and it's not a it's not a nicety that we get in this in, in this industry, you know, a lot of a lot of uh, non BIPOC playwrights. I'll just say that mm-hmm. uh, they 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 get to get to be in these spaces and they get to uh, develop their work and they they get put through the ringer and you get like this beautiful gourmet meal <laughs> at the end of it and people win Pulitzers with. Black and BIPOC writers, um, so much of that is so. There's so many people afraid of conflict. They're afraid of saying the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. They're afraid of giving the tension. And so, what happens is that you get an easy bake oven meal sometimes. <laughs> you know, like and um, and I can definitely say it with like half the plays that went to Broadway that year, uh, particularly uh. Can you bleep this? Yeah. <laughs> I trust you. I didn't I didn't get a chance to see it. it oh, that was not a good yeah. play. Well, first of all, they they were having cancellations due to COVID left and right, and then they just closed up shop. So I just never I never got a chance. Well, I mean, there was another there was a, a revival that had a similar title mm-hmm. with uh all black women. Oh, yes. And that was done um that 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 was that was a uh, a much more successful play. Let's just say that. Yes, <laughs> and well, um, and a lot more timelier than the one that we got from uh, this uh, male perspective. Um, let's just say that. Yes, um, I that that play was that revival you you speak of was it's it, it is a beautiful play, very much of its time i will say having seen that revival i was like oh this was definitely written in the 70s or this was definitely like cult fit in the 70s like you definitely get that public theater vibe but yeah. but 
you know, there's still so much beauty to it. And then was just very wonderfully done with that cast and, it, and director. Still, it's still very timely, timely. Like, I mean, I know a lot of oh, sure. I went with uh, a, a director of mine um, and um, and just so many of the conversations, uh, you know, um, that she felt and uh, she's a white Jewish woman. It was it was a uh, a, a piece that just really spoke to her and mm-hmm. a lot of black women that were around us. It spoke to them. I did not feel that with this other play. <laughs> um, well, you know, with with this particular play yeah with with not not slave play we're talking about we we've leaped so much we're talking about a specific other play but uh i'm glad you mentioned that because i want to go into some more stuff now with this play and all plays in general but before we do that marcas guess what we got to do go on a break gotta go on a break And we're back. Okay, so can I tell you a pet peeve of mine? Go for it. Thank you so much. First of all, people who chew gum with their mouth open. Second, (laughs) the mentality of art, of it only being for one uh, subgroup of people, whatever that subgroup is. Yes. I am all for and maybe having a slightly more special place for for that theater goer due to the closeness of the material i have said this before i it'll be years until i can tell you objectively if i think significant other is it an actually good play or not it is simply too close to my life that mm-hmm. i was like i'm like i'm sorry i just cry i can't i did a whole episode on it where i tried to talk about it objectively and ultimately adam and i were like i can't do it i just can't um but that's i'm aware of that and that and that's fine but I think wonderful art is this window into a world that maybe it's yours or it's a world you don't know very well. And it should be able to reach across the aisle and grab more people than just who it's about. And I, and as you were saying, mm-hmm. with the revival of that 70s play, mm-hmm. you know, it reached to the black woman in the theater, the white woman you were with, I'm assuming with yourself, you didn't say so, but I'm with myself yes yes not to alana your philip but i i I, that's how we felt yes okay um that's good so we've got two new shorthands today by the way we have um when such and such enter the chat and not to alana your philip but (laughs) which is like not to speak for you but yeah i think that that is the power of really compelling theater and emotional theater yeah i mean but also Theater to me should also challenge your preconceived notions or just or what you just think is acceptable. One of my favorite shows of um, last, not this, not the season, but last year, uh, was Downstate. I thought Downstate was brilliant. Motherfucker! I did a whole <laughs> episode about Downstate. Where were you when I did that? I, you weren't answering your DMs that day, and now you and and you lost the chance to talk about Downstate. Sorry, but no, I thought Downstate was absolutely you know brilliant and it made people uncomfortable and it's a show that should go to broadway it's a show that should transfer it's just it's a show that should be taught in schools you know um it's but it's because of the of the uh, of the um of the subject matter 
and because people's discomfort or rather even their ability to just communicate why they're just why they're uncomfortable yeah um that that uh, that that created a uh i, I feel like we're gonna we're gonna get a, a little less challenging theater at least for another year yeah it's we're yeah definitely with musicals i gotta say it's been it's, it's fucking well, It's like a it's like a deserted Dylan's candy store right now, you know. It's it's the remnants of of high priced sugar. It's not even like actual sugar right now. But the I think I first of all, like with all art, all mediums, there's world there's room for every genre as long as it's good. And yeah. what's good is of course subjective. But you know, go fuck everyone can go fuck themselves. I've got perfect taste, so I'll tell you what's good. But. For, You know, I like the same thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, just ask me, I'll tell you. But I, when you're looking for something with meat on the bone, when you're looking for something to actually talk about, it should be many things. It should be challenging. It should be compelling. It should be engaging. I mean, I I think for every downstate, there is a play that tries to tackle heavy subject matter, but does so in such a condescending this is going to be like eating your goddamn vegetables way that it turns off audiences and they mistake the uh them not liking the presentation for them not liking the subject matter and downstate for all of its darkness first of all fucking funny there's yeah yeah when people ask about downstate i'm like you don't understand how funny that play was and you know in the same way pillow man i mean uh, did you ever read or see pillman one of my favorite plays i love pillow man i knew i liked you baby <laughs> so but, but like mcdonough at his best and believe me like he's not always been his best but like at his best which i do think is pillow man and i think that play is one of the best plays of the century turns your stomach one second and it makes you laugh out loud the next you're on pins and needles for five minutes and then also you like it, they cut the tension with this amazing joke and it's it, it, the best way i can describe it is the opening shot of pillow man is katerian katerian in a investigation room blindfolded under like a lamp and it's all darkness around him and it's a fucking terrifying image and he's yeah. just sitting there for like two minutes in silence and then the investigators come in and they take off the blindfold they go why did you have this on you and he goes well they brought me in here with it and they go yeah and then they left you in here alone for 10 minutes you didn't take it off because i didn't think i was supposed to they go like what like are you an idiot like you like like you weren't handcuffed you could take this off at any time and it's such a great way to cut the tension but then they go back at the tension and yeah. i mean i i think you know if you're going to give people something challenging you have to give them a little bit of grace you can't what alana doesn't realize is she can't give philip every inch of that dildo she's got to start slow that was a great segue thank you <laughs> motherfucker this is I get paid now to do this. I get paid dimes upon dimes upon nickels, but I get paid. And oh, and, you know, when Alana enters that dildo into Philip and she goes, do you like that? He goes, I don't know, mistress. And then she does all of it. And he shouts, I don't know. And it's like, yeah, girl, you of all people should know you don't do all seven inches at once, especially with your man who hasn't had a sniff of poppers. You got to <laughs> eat them into it. There's also no lube on that thing. You just stuck it in. 
she just kind of spit and, and and stuck it in. It's like my God, it's it, yeah, brokeback vibes. I was gonna say, like, are we? Is this brokeback mountain all of a sudden where a little bit of spit goes a long way? My own mother, who never has had gay sex, told me when I came out and we saw brokeback mountain that that was not enough for gay sex. No, and he, and he just had beans, and so it was just like that. That was just bad for gay culture. That was bad for gay culture. Everything else about that movie is glorious for gay culture, but that one moment. But to bring this back to art, Marcus. Yes. No, but you know, for something like Slave Play, let's say, which is has a lot of challenging things about it. I think what the Broadway production did well was, first of all, it was a very stylized presentation. Mm-hmm. You know, you enter the theater and there's a wall of mirrors and AstroTurf and they're playing Rihanna and it's all it it already is telling you this is not realistic looking. Yeah. Yeah. You're gonna see something that's gonna go outside the norms of necessarily realism. But then it's also the double edged sort of like, oh, but by the way, because of the mirrors, you're always gonna be able to see yourself at any given time, no matter what's happening on stage. Yes. <laughs> yeah and, and see and see everything of the actors as well <laughs> like why um you know why you're up there yeah uh, i when i went on instagram by the way and i was like hey guys what do you want us to talk about with this play uh four or five different people said can you please talk about paul alexander nolan's nudity uh it was glorious it's one of my favorite memories of theater moving on i love that, that um, the man the man is is a is a perfect individual that's all i'll say there was, you know, like well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't see it, but it was, like, it was giving Statue of David vibes. It's like, wow, it was like, you know, it was hiding on all those clothes. Um, what, what I think is so to use to go back to your 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 image about about the uh, the meat on the bones. Yeah, I think what slave plays problem is that like there's a lot of meat, but it's there's a lot of fat. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, and uh, and you know. You could put it in a slow cooker and just let the fat fall off, but this is a person who likes a lot of fat on their on their meat, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what we're seeing. That's what what the last uh, um, bit of of that play. Uh, it, it also it also too, and this is you know I think we can say this. It's not really a secret, but like it's very uh, indicative of the Yale play. The Yale style of playwriting. Let's be real. You know, a lot of these playwrights they graduate, uh, they they get their resin, you know, their residencies and so forth and so on. This is a playwright who shot out of the canon. Mm-hmm. Who this is like a Yale that I don't even think this is his thesis play because he wrote a play called Yale, and that was his thesis play. Yeah, and that was. He, I think this was the idea for this play was. Part of, it was part of his application for Yale, but he hadn't actually written it. He was like, "I have this idea." Yeah, because yeah. he had he had written "Daddy," and that was the play that got him into Yale. Yes, this is yes, very different play, but also um, in conversation in many ways with slave play because I actually a lot of the people's uh, their problems with slave play mm-hmm. and how uh, how Kanisha treated, I felt with daddy and how the mother is treated in daddy mm. are, you, are you familiar with daddy yeah it's it's uh about a young black gay man who enters into a relationship with an older white european art collector right and his mother played by charlene woodard is basically like absolutely not i hate this yes um, and there's she, a pool and there was a pool i remember that yes she's a religious uh not a, a zealot but she's a she's uh she's just a yeah. 
who's comes from a very religious um background and i feel like it's a play for like black men who hate their their mothers and it's so ironic because he was like i wrote it as a love letter to my mother and it's like really no i felt like every person every every person who who felt loved that play had some kind of like confrontation with their mother like hated their mother was not speaking to their mother yeah and um, that's what it felt like. And that's what it read off like. I don't see it as a love, lang- love letter to the mother. I felt like this is a relationship that doesn't. It. And I felt like uh, and, and, and a lot of her coming there is not only to, you know, not to save his soul, but to like, but she's seeing this relationship with this very toxic older white man. Mm. Basically, like she calls him a vampire sucking the sucking uh his youth away so you know who wants certain things and uh and at the end of the play um in this like one scene it's like she says something that a mother would i don't think would ever say to her child um and it really turns the audience against her in that last scene and we've been watching a show for like two hours now and yeah. it's just one monologue and then she like leaves and we never see her and and it's, it ends with her with 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 him being uh infantilized and basically he's like sucking the teeth of this white man um and it's it's it 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 is i don't know it's just there's something about that infuriated me i left more angry <laughs> than anybody did I, I kind of left slave play confused this right here it angered me and i went away <laughs> because i was like wow you really hate like i i didn't want to think that but like it felt like wow you really hate black women mm. uh, yeah, I, 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 to be clear, I don't think that the play is a love letter to his mother. I'm saying I because yeah. uh, I think Daddy was Daddy being done this spring that Slave Play was at New York Theater Work because Slave Play was at New York Theater Workshop in the winter of 2018, and that was done in the sum the spring summer. I, okay, I, so yeah, so it was it was in between both Slave Plays then. Yeah, because yeah. I there was an article about how he was based, as you said, shot out of a cannon. Slave Play had a developmental production at Yale. Immediately got a reading at New York Theater Workshop, and they're like, "We're doing it. We're also going to do Daddy." And he also he co-wrote Zola while all this was going on because that went into production, yeah, like around uh, right before right around the time Slave Play was being done off Broadway. So he was just like he was everywhere. And Every so the week. article I read about all that, they were talking about that. He was like, yeah, it's a love letter. To, it's like my mom. I was like, is well, it? Don't forget around this time, he also had that show at the Bushwick Star, that one man show of his. Right, um, right. Yeah. So it's just, it's, uh, it, you know, it's a very indicative, this play is very indicative of the Yale style of playwriting, mm-hmm. where kind of, um, you get, it's, you know, their plays are filled with a lot of provocative images but they also kind of feel like a fever dream that's not that you know that you kind of get snapped out of sometimes yeah you know? um and by the time you snapped out of it, you're like what did i just watch <laughs> you know like and a lot of this play is uh even though it seems like he's kind of running away from that style um while holding on to his own voice it's still very indicative of the l style of of drama yeah. where it feels like it needs another edit um and so yeah the one of the one of the things about this particular play and uh at, i think at the height of slave play right before either right before he went to broadway uh because one of the conversations one of the reasons why uh i feel that maybe it didn't win anything um is because there was a lot of uh there was conversations happening uh with uh young gene lee i believe um who is one of the mentors 
uh, uh, for for O'Harris. And so there, a lot of things kind of came to light about the behind the scenes of the play mm-hmm. that you know, that that um you know about like how she wanted it to you know to be edited. Uh, and he said no, and that created a, a kind of like a a, a a schism between them. Um, no. We kind of see that schism on the page. I mean, like you know, uh, because you know, yes, like me, you know, I do feel that like he's a writer. He needs to be able to have, um, you know, to keep his creativity, to keep his, you know, keep his impulses, to kind of keep to like, you know, the the uh, the musings of that play. Like, what what fed that play originally? You know, I I feel like you do have to keep that um, as a writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just kind of like. You know, this is like the main idea of this play. This is the main. This is the the germ of this idea for this play, and I feel like this is very important. And you should like dig your heels in sometimes, but at the same time, if you are working with some of the greatest writers in America, maybe sit back, <laughs> you know, shut up, and like, and just kind of it, 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 just write a draft. Or you know, or an edit, um, just the way you take their advice. You can still hold on to this other draft. It doesn't mean you're losing your the soul of your piece, but just to see what they were talking about, and you might learn yeah. something. And God for yeah, say God forbid you learn something, right? I I feel like so as we were hinting at earlier, and I think now this is, and as you just sort of brought it back into the chat. This is sort of where the play ended up kind of dooming itself with the Tony Awards, and no one really realized it until they walked home empty-handed. Yeah. Because I also think this play and its reputation in the community is a really phenomenal example of what I have often spoken about on this podcast and sometimes talk about on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, which is do not mistake what people are saying publicly for what they actually feel, mm-hmm. especially with Broadway, because and, and actually, you know what? OK. This clip is making the rounds everywhere on social media right now, which is Tina Fey was just on Las Culturistas, a podcast that I probably listen to every five months. So to, for those who haven't seen it, Tina Fey was on and they're doing I don't think so, honey. What she said was authenticity is expensive and dangerous. And in this industry, people don't really want negative feedback, even Mm -hmm. if it's constructive. They just want to be praised. I don't think that's everyone. There are some people who absolutely are willing to take it. Uh, And it's part of why we go through very long stretches of uh, valleys of artistry in all of these mediums. It's why we were having like a golden age of television for a while, but not at all with film and theater. And we're like kind of having a renaissance with film right now, but only kind of. And yeah, we got to see what happens in the next like two years, because this past year we had a really good year. And the year before that was also like pretty solid, if not incredible. For horror, last year was like the, was an amazing year for horror. Oh. I can't remember with all films, but like- I'm, I'm a Thanksgiving. I'm going to watch that year round. Uh, just, I, <laughs> I need I need that movie in my veins. Uh, but Honestly, same thing with Saltburn. Like I'm watch Saltburn is a mess of a film, but I'm watching it every Christmas with with orphans. <laughs> with orphans, yes, <laughs> <Not> with orphans <laughs> to, te- to teach them the ways of the world. It's gonna be in my head for a very long time. 
and I might, I might, you know, it, it, it made me interested in going to the random cemetery and fucking a grave. So <laughs> for a minute, I was like, did Jeremy O'Harris write this? But so, <laughs> but I, I bring this up just to say, you know, when I do my reviews on Instagram, which I don't love to do because they're, they're just, they're difficult to write. And, and, you know, for every positive feedback you get, the negative feedback I get is always just like, I disagreed with you and no one will have the discourse. They're just like, you're wrong. And I'm like, okay, well, thanks, Janet. But they'll say to me, so like I, I did a review on Back to the Future back in the fall and I had people message me like, can't you support when a show is doing well? Like actors want to work and all this stuff. And I sit here and I go, I wish I could tell you what Broadway actors actually think of Back to the Future, the musical, what they yeah. actually think of X, Y, Z. Because just because they go see the show, tag their friends on on their stories that they're seeing them like, oh, break leg so-and-so in this. Like I could fill a book with the number of Tony nominees and winners and Broadway millionaires who have messaged me and been like, can we talk about X? And I'm like, and first of all, like always happy to dish, but also I'm like, talk about X on main. Like you don't have to be rude, but like, what good does it do to say one thing publicly and feel another way privately? And with slave play, this is how we get back to this. Now we run, we started with Tina Fey. We're back to slave play. It's all, thank you. It's all a Madam web, if you will. But (laughs) with slave play, there was the public collective thought of this new playwright who we must all get behind, who wrote something that is in the conversation. People would go off about how brilliant it was and then privately have another conversation. Yeah. And that wasn't being addressed until the Tonys actually happened because yeah. they get the 12 nominations, the most of any play ever and probably ever will get. Mm-hmm. And they proceed to lose every single one. And we can argue whether slave play or inheritance is better. I will say my piece on inheritance in the inheritance episode. I I think honestly, for my money, I probably would have voted for the sound inside that year. Although I don't know if I thought the play was brilliant or I thought it was just a great production of the play. Uh, When, you know, slave play goes into that gas leak Tony's everyone going, it's going to win. It's just a matter of how many Tony's will it win. And when they proceed to not win any, the conversation then turned to, oh, can we now openly discuss how we actually felt about this play? Which isn't to say that everyone hated it, but more like more critics came out of the woodwork about problems that they had with it. And more importantly, problems they had with Jeremy as an individual. Yes. But here's the once again, this is like where we go back to one of our original points was is like looking at institutions and having those conversations, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, because, um, you, you, like, you know, like, like he, yes, he's a young playwright. Yes. He's getting grants galore. He's, he's making the money he's on, you know, he's, uh, got a story in Vogue in the New York times, you know, he's, he's, uh, got a poster in Times Square on, on the night of the Tonys, you know, like he's uh, giving opinions on the second season of Euphoria, telling them what he thinks should happen next. You know what I'm saying? Like he, yeah. he he's making like waves and, and, and he still is um, much quieter now, but like, mm. uh, but he, he, he had a, his career just 
took off in this in this way. Um, and to be real, I mean, we haven't seen a, a real fashionista um, in the theater community for some time. Mm-hmm. We had somebody as outspoken as him, um, and so I think that he was he is he he was needed at, for that time. Um, there, uh, but at the same time, uh, these institutions were doing exactly what the white people in this play were doing, which was like they didn't want to say the wrong thing. As you know, they were yeah. Trying to- or taking notes about levels of comfort and the press and these critics were doing the same exact thing. Yeah. It, it, it's almost like <laughs> it's it's like they were, you know, we we're all seeing the same thing. We're experiencing the same thing. And that spoke to a, um, a deeper uh, thing in the, in the culture actually. Because we were all, you know, we were all seeing the same production. We we're all seeing the same show. I mean, I don't think anything really changed from Broadway to off Broadway, no. um, and sorry, off Broadway to Broadway, um, and a lot of the critiques stayed the same. Everyone I talked to, said, yeah, nothing's changed. It's yeah. the show on a, on a bigger stage, and people just felt this uh, desire, this burning desire to kind of keep these toxic or what they thought was toxic thoughts to themselves rather than having that dialogue. Yeah. Now, for better or worse, uh, Jeremy O'Harris is going to, it, it has made history. Jeremy O'Harris, whether he wants to be known as that or not, he's a totally nominated uh, writer. You know, he's got, uh, but we have to look at, this becomes an issue of a career now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, which is looking at Zola, because Zola, a lot of the critiques for Zola were kind of similar, which is like, one, it's, it's an adaptation of tweets. And the tweets, when you read the tweets, are better than the movie, you know? Oh, yeah. But more interesting, the movie's good. But when you've read the tweets, it's, it pales in comparison. <laughs> yeah, well, first, it, well it's, it's, that's true of any, of any you know, source material with movie. It's very rare when a movie improves on the book. Like, Devil Wears Prada is one of the very few. But uh, Zola... Zola the movie is very good. There are times when it slaps really hard, and then other times you're like, I think I'll go get a beverage now. Uh, well, oh, this is a road movie? Well, let me, you know, let me get something for the road. Let me <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> let me let me get some popcorn. Let me Well, similar to Slave Play, I think part of what makes Zola pop is the direction of it. It's got a beautiful yeah. eye, and the actors are all fucking fantastic. The yeah. script itself when it's at its best is when it is directly quoting the the Twitter thread. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and you know when they're doing it because they play the the tweet sound effects. Yes. Um, and it's a similar thing. I mean, you know, this is a person, this is a writer, like a lot of writers, it's not just a read for on Jeremy Harris. This is, a, this is just the, the industry in general. A lot of people need a scalpel. They need to have some come in and, re, you know, read through the script. Yeah, and and, and and you need to workshop. That's what they're for, um, you know. Uh, and uh, this is a person where people just felt because, and I think just because he is so vocal, he you know he, you know that he does have a certain authority about him. Yeah, that just felt like that they didn't want to say anything, but that's a problem with the industry. I think like it was very unfair, actually. I mean, I, you know, I, it was not one against, once again, it's not my favorite 
show, but it was definitely one of the better shows that, you know, the, the year that it originally went up. Yeah. And, um, and for better or worse, it deserved, you know, uh, it, it deserved a nomination. I'm not sure if it deserved a win, but like, but out of the show, out of the, the plays and things that did win, I mean, was that the, that was the year that Inheritance won? Yes. Yeah. So I would disagree with that. <laughs> I would think that like, it, it at least, it, it you know, at least this play stuck the landing in a way it's not my it's not my ending it's not <laughs> it's it stuck the landing it set out for even if yeah. it's not the landing i wanted it's not the landing i wanted but it, yeah. it, you know, um and um and i can't really say that about about the other play um but what i will <laughs> but uh i i i think that like with the you know uh, i think the conversation that people needed to have was just how these institutions treat people of color who happen you know who are playwrights who are mm-hmm. you know theater makers um i you know we have like you know uh this past year we had um what is it we had um oh my god english just won the pulitzer and i think uh what was that other show um it was nominated for it was a finalist uh for the pulitzer yeah it was um a show that Oh my god, I saw it. I saw it. Basically, why why why, the, why those worked is because I felt like these are writers who were, you know, they got the they got the um the reason why my English got what it, it's uh it's uh it won the Pulitzer is because you could see the work. You could see not saying that slave play didn't have rigor, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is you, you could see that there was workshops. There was a, there's uh people were, you know. There's dramaturgs or people, you know, or, or I assume there's dramaturgs, but there there was just a lot of attention. There was a lot of years, you know. I've known about English for several years, you know, yeah. before uh, it was produced, um, and you know, you could see that this is a, a writer who was making the rounds, who was working on this play, working on this play, working on this play, um, and really kind of whittling it down to its essence and we and what we got is this award-winning play that's going to be a uh, you know done around the nation the entire nation the, you know and that, that i'm glad that those that those particular plays got that but i feel that like especially with BIPOC uh, writers particularly black playwrights you don't really get that love uh you know people kind of dance around it People feel like they can't really say what they need to to make the, the the work shine. It's almost it's actually like it's up to the devices of the writers to make a will and make a way to get that play or, or that musical even um, you know developed. You have to like you have to like fine tooth you know kind of put everything through a fine tooth comb to make it work. And um, and you're doing the work of these institutions, and that doesn't really. Uh, create a way for a career. And so right now, uh, you're kind of seeing the fruits of that. I mean, Jeremy O'Harris is definitely how he has a career. But like, you, you know, now with the legacy so far of his work is a lot of like a lot of great ideas, <laughs> yeah. but a lot of um, half finished pieces. First, were you talking about On Sugarland? Was that the play you had on Sugarland? I, I think I'm a bit confusing. The Far, the far Country? So those are the three. Those uh, are the three that, that those are the three from last year. Yeah, confusing. I was confusing it with the year before, which is, okay. Uh, that was Fat Ham selling Kabul, Christina Wong. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. 
So I also say I think part of another reason why maybe with with slave play in particular why some people might have had hesitation with expressing criticism is for something like slave play which is very hot with its topics how it approaches it how it talks about it how it makes you talk about it it opened up the floodgates for really stupid discourse not not from them but from people who came to see it and for a minute there was a really really fucking stupid you know swarm of white people who yep. went online to talk about how anti-white it, it, it was, how racist it was towards white people. There was that famous talk back they did where like a white woman was shouting at Jeremy O'Harris, this play is racist. Yeah. Yeah. Amy mm-hmm. Cooper at 90 was, was who this woman was. And I and you don't want to be associated with that when you're like, hey, like I had an issue, but like I don't. Please don't, don't please don't be with that. Like, I'm not saying it's racist. Like, I have I have issues with like the structure. I have issues with like the longevity of this speech, things like that. Um, like the person I was on the date with who said, like, this point confused me, but maybe I'm just dumb. And I was like, no, let's talk about it because it's very possible you're not dumb and that this was just confusing. Yeah, no, I, I think that honestly, I think he gave uh white people a lot of grace in that piece. I think that like if you're a black person leaving the theater, you actually feel a lot more um uh, a lot more unsure, a lot more, you know, a lot more enraged and a lot more, um, and almost like it's, you know, in a way, I mean, a lot of the conversations I had with a lot of uh, um, theater people, particularly Black people in theater, uh, was how, um, well, of course, they're going to produce this because, you know, it has, it's, it's, you know, it's almost like you're re-traumatizing your theater, yeah. you, you know, Black people. Um, you know, and so when you leave, there's a lot of people who, you know, a lot of black women felt angry. There's a lot of conversations around that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of conversations about, uh, um, you know, while people love that, that, that I'm the prize speech, there was a lot of anger around like, you know, for black gay men, you know, mm-hmm. about like, how we come off, you know, or, or, or kind of the messages that are in the piece. Um, and, uh, and also just how we we kind of still don't go um heard or you know a lot of the things that he brings up kind of get gets washed away shortly after he says it yeah i um, uh, this may sound sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you uh this may sound unfair to the play this is how i felt at the time and i'm debating if i truly still feel this way if if i may be hateful to progressive white people for a minute. My thinking of that of slave play for a while, especially once we hit COVID and, you know, there was a whole you know discourse of white people do the work, you know, stop relying on the black people, you know, to educate you like go out and do the work yourself. Yes. And especially when it came back, but I felt this way in 2019. I was like this feels a bit to me like a play that white people go to see and they feel like they're doing the work because they just sat there for two hours. Exactly. And, yeah. Okay. Fantastic. I'm glad that I don't, that this is totally in my own head. Um, yeah. But that, but that was reinforced for me. Speaking of this actually quite good year of film with the movie American fiction, 
which was yeah. adapted by Cor Jefferson and starring now Oscar nominee Jeffrey Wright. Thank God. But uh, yes. that I mean, for yes. anyone who hasn't seen American fiction, I highly recommend that you do so. It is probably, I would say that and Barbie are the two top contenders for adapted screenplay this year. And to which I'm like, God bless. I'm happy with either one to win. Uh, wait, wait. Oh, there she is. Scatter's little screener there. But, you know, for anyone who doesn't know American fiction, it's basically satirizing the trend of quote unquote cultured white people fetishizing the trauma of black people in pop culture, in books, in film, in theater, and and labeling it as important and and groundbreaking because it makes them feel like they have done work whereas black people see it and go this is regressive this is trivial this is re-triggering my trauma and why just so white people can feel like they've they've read a book today uh but of course that's just like our truth i'm sure there are other people uh who feel very differently than that but it i think it's important to talk about it because it's in its own way a way of challenging a mind frame that made certain people comfortable in that scenario if the white characters of slave play were comfortable in their relationships how they began and now feel like something's wrong and only and are there for breakthroughs they have to be comfortable if those breakthroughs don't actually benefit them if it just benefits their partner yeah but also what the audience wound up doing that discourse that happened that followed the tonys i mean they wound up doing almost it it became secular you know like kind of like you know like like the the snake eating its tail, you know. These are white people centering themselves in a narrative that is literally about black people trying to be seen. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, and it, and and uh, and and yet, I mean, in a lot of a lot of um, in a lot of that, I mean, a lot of the conversations that people weren't really having. I mean, black people were having them, but they weren't. You know, it, it was it wasn't. A conversation that was really being had in those spaces, um, even even on Black Night, you know, like <laughs> like black people weren't having these conversations, like in the theater. You no, know? there was an article in them by a woman who was talking about having seen it on Broadway on, on one of the blackout nights, and it was when Slave Play was closing in L.A., mm-hmm. and it was basically like. You know, she was saying like I I now feel comfortable talking about how I really feel about the play, and it's similar to what you were saying was you know she was saying I felt very angry and confused and traumatized, but when I walked out, there were, I was in the bathroom and another black woman was like, "That was good, right?" And she goes, "It was, it was," and the woman's like, "No, that was good, right?" And then they yeah. like walked out of the bathroom to talk to some white women so they could like talk about the play in a very like you know isn't that wonderful way but it, she said like it felt like no no no, you're gonna go out there and you're gonna tell everyone that was good yeah well that's the thing it's because of like black solidarity yeah <laughs> which i'm listen i wish gays had more that had more of that these days when it comes to our stories at the very least it's just like let's go see it and we can judge it of how it is in the tapestry of gay stories down the road but like right now let's just go and support because we used to do that we used to be a country marcus and <laughs> We we used to go support all the gay playwrights, and now we're like, that's not my story. Burn it with fire. <laughs> no, it's true. <laughs> it's true. I mean, we saw that with um, with another play that 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 came out shortly after a slave play, a slave play. Um, 
uh, Strange Loop. Yes. Oh, sorry. I was I was gonna make a joke and I couldn't think of a I couldn't think of a show fast enough. I was gonna be like, oh, are we talking about Girl from the North Country? Oh my god, <laughs> that, that queer canon. No. Um. Yeah. No. Strange Loop. I mean, Strange Loop is kind of like halfway between the inheritance and uh, slave play in terms of like the gay discourse because yes. it was yeah it was like gays being like that's not my story fuck this and then you also had people being like how dare they make me feel racist I'm sitting here doing the work am I not and it's like that's not what this is about you idiot yeah I wouldn't say in terms of quality but uh, of the play but like but yeah I would say in terms of discourse. no Strange Loop has a Pulitzer for a reason yeah <laughs> yeah you know but um but yeah I, I I would say that like yeah the the discourse around that became kind of conversations about you know what is the inner white girl and you know black fetishization and you know and but also like what does it mean to be gay in a post truvada like you know um Mm -hmm. erica and i would say with both the inheritance and yeah there's a lot of overlap um in terms both thematically but also with this course um at that time um with that play uh, with that musical um yeah, I, I, I think that this uh, what, what Slave Play did was um, it created a thing within um, at least the Black uh, theater community where, yeah, you had to kind of say, like, it's a great play. And then you would have those kind of plays with, with your friends in private, you know, yeah. to talk about it. Um, and the, but I didn't serve. But who did that serve? You, you know, yes, people were having that conversation, but like, what ha- what happens with these institutions? I mean, we saw, you know, and it ha- and this is was this is not just indicative of slave play. We saw this with the eight plays, eight or nine plays that were on Broadway. That kind of that those 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 uh I called them kind of like the sacrificial lambs, you know, because all these black plays that opened the season. Yeah, that many all, of them that weren't ready to come. Yeah, and they were just they were all closed early i mean some of them were better than others you know like i you know i thought chicken and biscuits was a show that could have stayed open you know it, it was a very funny play um what i you know when i say that it was a Pulitzer surprise would it, no <laughs> but like but like did it have an audience did, was it a show that we you know this if we're talking about broadway if we're talking about like a place that's Really, I mean, it's it's not really, you know, an artistic bastion. If you want, like, artistic, I would say if you really want an artistic experience in theater, I would say go off-Broadway, off-Broadway, off, off, off Broadway. Mm-hmm. theater's where money's made, right? Um, <laughs> but uh, and I, you can find artistic um, uh, fulfillment on Broadway, but so much of theater has become, uh, it's become a theme park ride. It's become um, an amusement. Well, uh, and even the things that are maybe more aggressive mm-hmm. they may they a lot of times they still have imperfections which is fine nothing has to be perfect but we also have become a culture due to social media due to honestly the Truman Capote of Jeremy O'Harris's existence now of we want to be the ones who found the new thing and that we were in the room when it happened to quote Hamilton. So it's why like every show is the show to see every cast replacement is a revelation. Everything, you know, everything that's at encores or off Broadway simply must transfer because it's just so incredible. I'm like, I hate to tell you, we are actually not in a golden age of theater right now. So no, a lot of things aren't incredible and that's fine. They don't have to be. 
some things can be a stepping stone for someone to create something even more incredible. Uh, an example being, I saw Cola Scola's O'Mary at the Lortel, which, yeah, the Mary Todd Lincoln fly, which is so dumb and so fucking fun. And would would I say it's the best comedy I've ever seen? No, but it is so promising for who Cole is as a art as an artist and yeah. where they're going. And so more than me going, oh, oh, Mary needs to move to Broadway. I'm like, no, you want to see this because you want to say that you saw the first play by Cola Scola. Yeah, because it's only going to get better. For, like, this is already so worthwhile and it's going to get better. Yeah. And but that's I, great. I, you know, I, I agree. I, I I think that like, um, we're yeah, we're just at a point right now where these institutions are not fostering these voices. Not really. There's you know, there's um, you could you could for various reasons. There are you know there are uh different affinity you know different groups, different writing groups where they think you know this is these are the the hottest writers, <laughs> um, and a lot of it's just here's a lot, you know writers with great ideas but not a lot of you know not a lot of great execution <laughs> um and um right and, we talked we mentioned ryan murphy at the top of this episode baby you know what i'm saying and we're in a place now where like where is the um there's a lot you know you, you know you have a lot of schools that these people are coming out of but like where's the mentorship mm-hmm. where is you know where where is the uh the editing the the where's the where's the red pen mm-hmm. and um and yeah i think that right now we're in a we're in a space where everyone is yeah they're looking for the the new hot thing um but sometimes these things are not ready to transfer and also these in a lot of these these institutions don't have people speaking up you know yeah. they they have they you know they have their artistic director hat on you know but they're not really uh doing the thing where they're reading the play and they're giving you notes that, you know, that the same, you know, a lot of those half finished babies, those sacrificial lambs that, that I alluded to earlier, um, a lot of them could have used a producer, you know, or an artistic director or, you know, or a patron mm-hmm. just and talk with, you know, the, the theater makers you know, to talk about what the piece is doing, what's, what it's, you know, what it's trying to achieve instead of uh, of being afraid of having those conversations. And I find it really ironic because during the pandemic, you know, we uh, the, during the quarantine rather, because we're still in a pandemic, um, during the quarantine, there was a lot of conversations, uh, you know, we were, see, we were we were home and so we saw police brutality, you know, from our laptops, from our television screens, from our phones. You know, we're watching these videotapes on, you know, these these video uh, footages on, you know, on loop. Um, and uh, people got on their Amazons and they went to their, you know, they went to their Barnes and Nobles and they ordered, you know, past, you know, yeah. and they, you know, and whatever hot, book that was on the New York Times bestsellers list about and had these conversations about race and discourse and then when the theater season opened up and you got these black plays coming to Broadway it's like nothing no one retained anything (laughs) you know and it's just it's it's just it's the irony yeah I think another (laughs) issue is also just a lot of people at the top are fucking dumb uh with with not a lot of taste or, or or good judgment 
but we can't go into that, Marcus, because that's another hour, and we're, we're it's another hour. We're getting we're getting into our limit now. So yeah. on that note, we got to start wrapping things up with slave play because you and I have a Sunday to get the rest of the day through. Um, um so don't you thumbs down me? That was you. That was not me. I didn't. I didn't touch anything. I'm not touching anything. I thought that that's, I've been watching that the entire time. Me too. Is Zoom? Is Zoom commenting on our comment on our commentary? It's not me. That was not me. I didn't. I didn't touch anything. I've been watching My it God. the whole time, thinking like, "Are you?" <laughs> I thought you've been doing that the whole time. Well, that my hands are here. <laughs> AI, AI, guys. Marks and I are recording on Zoom, and every every now and then during our recording, there'd be like a thumbs up button, occasionally a thumbs down button, and I just thought that was Marcus. Being like totally agree or be like yeah no hate it too or <laughs> it was always happening when I was talking though so do you, did you imagine I was like I'm saying this thumbs up on that I really I really hit the nail on that one yeah I was like I don't know what's going on but I was like <laughs> I, was, I was like let me just smile through it um... <laughs> and that is slave play uh, Marcus <laughs> let's 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 wrap things up so yeah. slave play. Final thoughts uh, on on a scale of problematic question mark. Oh God, on a scale for of- you is how how do you define it? Because I I will say for me, not again not to Alana your Philip, but yeah. for me I think this is one of the first shows I've covered here where it truly meets the criteria of problematic with how the word should be used. Yes. which is that this is a play that has problems in it, but the actual piece itself is not quote unquote cancelable problematic. I think the execution is problematic. I think the intention is not. Yes. Uh, uh, which you could say that about a lot, so much art, so many, so many, but, um, but this is literally, I feel like the, he, what the writer was really trying to embark on in the piece. Um, you can see what he's, what he's, you know the level of ambition you know it's crawling with a lot of ideas mm-hmm. uh but um it really it's a piece that like um that third act is what makes it really problematic it's like it's kind of like the um the takeaway you know of the piece yeah. because you could almost forgive the first two scenes what's what's happening you know that it is a satire mm-hmm you know the the you know the conversation that are had, and even though things kind of like some arguments kind of disappear, mm-hmm. you know, I never you never hear them, you know, or, or some things are alluded to. Like I would love to, you know, what, what is that conversation about? Like being a white passing person of color and a relation, you know, in a, in a racial relationship. Like what is that? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and every time it gets brought up, it disappears. I would love to know more about that. I would love to know um, what does it mean to be working with your partner who happens, you know, in this space, uh, you know, uh, as a, um, and, and you're in charge of uh, being, a, being a therapist or being a sounding board for other people's problems when you have problems in your interracial relationship. I would love to have seen more of that. <laughs> and, and not just an interracial relationship, but an interracial lesbian relationship. Um, I, you know, between between the uh, the two uh, uh, actors, uh, Taya and uh, Patricia, um, I would love to 
know what you know what that is for those for those characters um but at, for a criteria if i had to like rate it it's really problematic it's really like it's it's a it's a and but i, I is it as problematic as daddy no <laughs> um what what i think we what i think the benefit of this is that we got um this generation's um you know terrence bradshaw we got mm -hmm. a really uh transgressive in your face theater style playwright really kind of um giving you piss and vinegar you know <laughs> he you know he's he's my favorite potato chip flavor <laughs> <laughs> but you know but, but he's he's yeah you're you're giving you're you're kind of you're you know and i i think for for all of his problem for perhaps problematic as it is, I mean, we really haven't seen a young playwright come along with this much gusto on the on the main stage on a Broadway stage in a minute, mm -hmm. and, and to like to be the most. I mean, next to like next to like Michael R. Jackson, you know, yeah, um, or even Lin Manuel Miranda. I wouldn't say that Lin Manuel Miranda is transgressive or in your face, but to that level of, of being a celebrity yeah um, and with lynn lynn is also in his stuff and and jeremy does perform but i would argue jeremy's celebrity sorry mr o'hara mr o'hara's if you're nasty uh his celebrity came from solely writing and same with michael r jackson which is really really impressive yeah you know and so i think that like that that says a lot to it and you really have the you know a, a, a distinctive voice for the american theater mm -hmm. but um but it's also one or two drafts away from like what it like from from this level of like yeah ambition this level of uh of what will we be talking about slave play a decade from now i'm not sure yeah i i think if his work continues to grow and mature and get more uh, ruthless in its in its cutting and 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 its vision. We can look at this as sort of the root of a really amazing career, but yeah. we don't know yet. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah. I think my final thought with slave play because you're also talking about you know with the final act and and all the things that it touches on in the second and first act that we don't really get to explore as much and why it angered so many uh, women of color. Why uh, you felt like the air was let down in that third act. As I'm thinking about it more, it feels like part of what makes slave play is a problematic play because of, you know, just structural things and, and many points that it just sort of leaves on the table and then walks away from, and not even in a let's talk about it after the show kind of way more in like, a, Oh, we forgot that we brought up this subject. And like, now we're just going to leave it alone. But I think where it kind of goes into the thematic problematic for some people is with all the checks that it chooses to not cash at the end, yeah. the fact that the check that it does decide to cash in the third act is such a violent one and such a triggering one for uh, women who have to experience it on an everyday occurrence just so, again, as we said, you know, white people can live their own American fiction reality, that's where it goes into more of a like a 
did we really have to do that? Couldn't we have cashed one of the other checks? Why was this the one? Why on why on this day? Uh, but again, that's not for me to actually answer. That is, I think, if we're going to leave it at, if we're going to pull a Jeremy O'Harris and just sort of put that poison dart on the table for everyone to play with, that would be mine. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. We've I don't know. We've talked so much. You're like, are we going to have enough to talk about? Is this going to be done in 80 minutes? I was like, why are you acting brand new? You've been on this podcast 10,000 times. <laughs> I, was, I was scared. I was like, do we have anything to say about it? Also, like, you know, so much has been said about this play. So much. Yeah. But not between us, not together in this room or on this Zoom. You know, so I was like, how, is there anything we could talk about that's like, but I feel like there's been enough time where we, yeah, where we can kind of put it in its crystal ball and, yeah. and encapsulate it. Yeah. Listen, you're Gary. I'm Alana. To get, we, we don't we didn't have that pairing on stage. Also, we didn't actually really talk about Patricia and Taya. All well, we, I'll but I'll that. just say Patricia and Taya, they are the uh, therapists who run the experiment. They are a lesbian couple, biracial. And the whole reason they came up with the experiment is because like while they were at Yale, they got together and had their own intimacy issues and basically like decided it was because of racial trauma, not because of anything else, um, which <laughs> I mean, possibly true, but I would love it. I would love it if Jeremy O'Harris could confirm it's like, no, they were always just doomed and just decided it was because of this. It wasn't because that they were incompatible. I mean, I, I just, I, something that like I will say about Jeremy O'Harris, especially with the two plays, is that like this is a black man who I assume just through his art primarily dates white men. Mm hmm. Um, and, um, and he's exploring that in his pieces. And, um, and I think that, uh, it's what we don't, what, what he's, what he's done with this piece, um, it, it's created a, a, a real kind of conversation starter for the culture, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, um, and yeah, I, I think that. I'm very curious to see, like you know, like what the germ of this will be for another piece because this it's he's kind of building, his, you know, his um his thematic uh, oeuvre, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> of, you know, black men attracted to white men who are in in, in toxic relationships, um, and I'm uh, and I I think that like no it's that's is that is that not what he's what he's writing about? <laughs> I don't know enough about his life, but that is a major that, that is a major theme of the stuff he taught he writes about. Yes, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to pretend to know. I'm just saying that like looking at the work. <laughs> you know, I'm just saying, you know, um, and, and, so, and so, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm very curious to see what, what this is going to bring up, not just in his work, but like what this is going to, how, who's going to inspire, what, what writers this inspires, because I'm seeing it now, you know, just like we huh? talked about the last, on my last appearance, you know, where we kind of, I think we talked about Len briefly, and you see a lot of, uh, and we talked about we talked about passing strange too. You see, kind of like what the plays are influencing. Yeah. Um, with with Len, you're seeing a lot of the post Hamilton effect in theater. You're seeing a lot of that in musicals. Um, you're seeing that 
right now with Jeremy's work off Broadway, there's a lot of like kind of transgressive, uh, you know, provocative work. Um, and so I'm very curious to see the kind of conversation this gets brought up in. No, totally. Absolutely. And I think that's a great place to land for today. Marcus, this has once again been so delightful. I think it's my favorite episode with you yet. And <laughs> and it's not just because we talked about pegging. Marcus, where, <laughs> where can the listeners find you if you want them to find you? Um, uh, the Real Marcus Scott on Instagram or Real Marcus Scott uh, on on um, X or Twitter. I'm never calling it X. Just call it Twitter. It's the uh, only thing it's okay to dead name. Believe me. <laughs> only only thing. Only thing it's okay with. Um, I love that. Uh, and uh, and yeah, I'm, I've got stuff happening, developing around uh, around uh, the country. I have. I'm writing a play right now, and that'll be up at Art House uh, in um, in uh, in May. So you can come and see that. Check Amazing. Congrats, babe. If you want to follow me, I'm on Instagram only at Matt Koplik, usual spelling. If you like the podcast, you can give us a nice five-star rating or a little review. Uh, I will read any new reviews on Maine. Here we have a new one, <clears throat> if I may. Lighting the Piazza Overture Music playing. <clears throat> five stars. Effective criticism. I love musical theater, but a lot of people outside the industry talk about it with such broad strokes based on how they feel that it does nothing to further any true conversation. And people in the industry are usually afraid to burn bridges so they stick to the positive. Oh boy, is that relevant to today? (laughs) Matt is very knowledgeable about theater, and what's really great is how he uses that knowledge to break down all the parts of a show to praise the good and explain the bad, as well as how things might have been done better. Though I sometimes disagree with his opinions, they're based on logic and make me rethink or sharpen my previously held views so i finish every episode better for the experience thank you so much bmkwb i gotta say who the fuck would disagree with me i am perfect and my mind is incredible no uh i love it if i hope people disagree with me from time to time but also are able to go i disagree but i see what he's saying so let me rethink how i feel so it can i can further stand behind my opinions that's how i always am uh, but then, as again, as I said, I am perfect. Marcus, we got to close out with a Broadway diva to play us out. Who do we play today for Slave Play? For Slave Play? Mm-hmm. Um, a Broadway diva. Let's do LaShawn's. Oh, fuck yes. Okay. Do, okay. No, I'm going to, I'll figure, I'll, I'll decide, I'll decide on my own which, which LaShawn's to do. But yeah. Fuck yeah, LaShawn's. Okay. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Join us next week for, I actually know what the next episode is going to be, so I can tell you all now, Aida. That's going to be a bonkers episode because that is a bonkers show. All right. Take it away, LaShawns. Bye. Find each other in the crowded streets and the guarded parks. By the rusty fountains and the dusty trees of the battered bars. And they walk together past the postage walls with the crew remarks. And they meet at parties to the friends of friends who they never know. Pick me up, or do I meet you there, or shall we let it go? Did you get my message? Because I look in vain, can you see me? 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.